Hey everybody, welcome back to Balanced Exchange. I'm Papa Bear here with Cronus, and this podcast we're going to talk about the best and the worst presidents in our opinion. Hey, it's me, Rasan. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah, <laughs> understanding. Just my fellow Americans. <laughs> Papa Bear here. As long as you're whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is balanced. Yeah, so Dirty Stu, who is uh, who lives in Scotland, he has been a longtime listener of my other podcast. Um, he's a very interesting guy, and he wanted mm-hmm. to know about. He doesn't obviously. It, it's fascinating to me when people that aren't Americans ask about American policies. Yeah. Um, it just shows like me how much of like uh, America is still considered sort of like the world leader, even though we kind of stumbled a few steps in the the past couple of years. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, he asked me to, like, do this podcast to see, like, who do we think are the best and the worst? And then uh, the actual policies and what they did to make them the best or the worst in our opinion. So if you listen to the other balance exchange, you'll probably know who's the best that we think. And then we'll give actual um, opinions and, like, with their policies um, as we're going through it. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I was gonna make a joke like when we when we start this because I know that we both have it exactly the same. So I was like, we just both say it like this one. This one, okay, great podcast. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, that's why I'm glad he said like bring up policies and like what what the person do. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, there's lots of reasons, and um, it, it's definitely I'll, I'll recommend a book, and like we always do, right? It's, there's a bunch of stuff, so yeah, we'll get into it. All right. So what are we drinking? Um, so I am going to split up two different things. So this one's actually not a Truly. So I have these Mike's um, Hard Lemonades this time instead of the Trulies because I'm not really worried about keto, but they are still actually low. I grabbed them thinking I wasn't have to worry about it, but they actually still are only one gram of carbs. So I could oh, do these nice. while I'm on keto too. Yeah. Nice. It's always no, nice yeah. to have that, that other option, you know? <laughs> and I am drinking, uh, Through the Wire. It's by uh, Randy's. Oh, I can't. I'm sorry, Blackstack Brewing. Hmm. So yeah, this is a. Sorry, there was two two labels on here. So there we go. And it's a. Hmm. It's an IPA, that is seven percent alcohol. I was gonna drink something harder, but I was like, you know what? I need to speak a little better tonight. So maybe I'll drink the the harder one later. So. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned it because I honestly felt like. By the end of the last podcast, I just sounded like an idiot. I was like, God, I have too much to drink. I am just rambling. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> it ha- Listen, when you do a you know long podcast, at some point you're going to sound like an idiot. And it you know, happens to me all the time. And it's just like, especially when you've been drinking, you know, like this is, you know, mind altering. So sometimes you ramble or we ramble, you know, it's, it's all right. And, so um, what are you reading? I am reading uh, 1491, an awesome book that I will recommend to you and anybody else that's listening to this podcast. It's uh, obviously the year before uh, Columbus, quote unquote, discovered America. He didn't discover America. People are already here. A lot of people, way more than people originally thought. And also the Vikings came even before Columbus. So it's kind of silly. A whole bunch of other groups came to America before Columbus. And they, they go into depth about the what life was like uh, before during and after uh, Columbus uh, started or well, started the whole colonization of America or in the Americas because it wasn't just Columbus it was you know 
the Spanish, you know, Cortez came to uh, the Mexican Mexico area and you know South America. And there's a few other expeditionary groups that went to those areas, and they go into like detail, like how there were way more people here yeah. than what people thought. So yeah, and Amerigo Amerigo Vespucci. Didn't yeah. he get there before anybody too, right? Because it's yeah. named after him. The Americas are named after Vespucci. Yeah. But it yeah. should have really been named after the natives that were here. Even though it was a bunch of different natives, but these places yeah. had names. Even like even the names that we have here in America, like, you know, Massachusetts and oh, yeah. you know, I think it's there's a whole bunch of names that are basically um, native names. Yeah, tons and tons. And and a lot of times it's it's names that we're so familiar with that we don't even think about the like what the heck does that word even mean? And then you realize, like, at that moment when you start going, like, I don't understand what, uh, it's probably it's probably a Native American name that we named it for the tribe that was here or the name that they gave this river or this lake or that mountain or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was a whole lot of, like, there was a lot of fuckery. I'll just be honest. A lot of fuckery happened back then. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the fact that they were calling people savages back then, it's just, like, they weren't, they weren't savage people. Like, in some ways, they actually had... They just had different technology than uh, the Europeans had. So, well, I could talk about the book on a whole different podcast, but it, it's really good. Nice. Out. So what yeah. do you read, man? It won, you, you know, I mean, you know my history a bit too. So it's obviously one I would get, get into. So it sounds cool. Yeah, you'll, you'll definitely like it. <laughs> so I'm back on it because I got new credits this month. So, and uh-huh. then I finished off uh, the, the book from the last one. So How the Post Office Made America. And uh, I finished up that, and then I started Awaken Online, Dominion, so book four. Nice, so, nice. Um, I think so I listened I, to that book at least twice. I'm pretty sure that's the one I listened to at least twice. So this is like, this is, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Things are getting dark, dark, dark. I'm like, oof. <laughs> uh, this, like, stuff that he's doing, plus his, his like, real-world side of stuff that's happening to him. Um. I, I will say, like, I'm trying to, I don't want to do too many spoilers, because so I'm dancing around it a little, but I thought that um, it's, I, I, can, I can see the conflict being built for the main antagonist to have his own, um, like, relationship stress thing going on at the same time, rather than just being a foil, right? Creating him as, like, an actual character at this point, finally, because he was a very static and obvious, like, that's the villain guy for my main character kind of guy. Yeah. Um, they're finally kind of building that character into almost its own character with its own other stories. There were hints of it along the way, but like finally giving a lot more to it. I was like, okay, that's making that. And you always love that, right? That's the Thanos thing. You're like, ah, you made that character understandable. And that makes this whole thing way more interesting, you know? Yeah. I think it's called, I think it's, I don't know if you're there yet, but the, the nemesis project. So, mm. It's like very interesting to have like a character in a book who's literally the villain. Like that's what mm-hmm. he's supposed to be is like the villain. And it's just like the way they, they kind of do like a roundabout way to like make this guy the villain is excellent. There's other books that are excellent villain books that I've read as well. But this one just goes on another level with like the, the detail and like really going through um, his own personal story of like why he is going to likely be the villain of this entire like video game so yeah well yeah and he's <laughs> our protagonist as the reader yeah but yeah. Like the villain in the story world thing and yeah you love jason but then it's it's funny that like it's a different kind of thing going on yeah 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 i really like I, I like jason i like frank i like uh oh, what's the girl's name riley yeah riley so i was thinking riley because it's my, it's my daughter's yeah. name 
yeah, I love yeah. Riley too, and even the 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 water mage. Um, she was great too. Oh yeah, now I, I think of her name. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't remember her name. Like I said, it's been a, it's been a minute since I and I read yeah. a lot of books. Um, but did you? I, read... They were just talking about her today because they just kind of, yeah. Have you listened to the side stories? Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm trying to do them with side quests, like in order. In order. So. Okay. Yeah, that's what I did. That's definitely the but, way to go. Like, three and three and a half and whatever. So. Yeah. So if y'all pick up these books, don't skip the side stories. Like, no. Read the side stories. <laughs> They're actually like. They enhance the uh, the story because all of a, in between certain books, all of a sudden somebody has like a, a different skill set, and you're like, why did why are they like this now? And you got to read the side stories. So yeah, imagine not going on Riley's side quest with her. Yeah, yeah. Like, how would <laughs> like you would be so lost coming back in? I think it was two, or maybe it was one and a half was her side quest. Maybe it was yeah. two. Yeah, and it's it's a great one because especially. It's especially great because when my initial thoughts of her, I didn't have high opinions of her, especially like what she did to to Jason, yeah. and like listening like her whole side story was like, all right, this is like a fleshed out okay. character, yeah, yeah, and it makes a big difference, yeah. So yeah, okay. Now comes the disclaimer. Yep. So at this point in watching our videos, you may or may not know that I am an active duty United States Marine. And I've been doing this for 20 plus years, so I know that um, it's really important for me to make sure to get this out there. If it's your first time watching this, please stick around and make sure you understand the disclaimer. If you've watched a whole lot of our episodes so far, feel free to go ahead and jump ahead to the new content. Um, so what I need to talk about today is that I am not authorized and have no way of being approved to speak on behalf of the Marine Corps. So any opinion that I give or any concept that I discuss today is the position and the opinion of just me, myself, just a man who has a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in leadership and organizational management and has spent my whole life looking at government structures and social contracts and how these things are supposed to work, what the philosophies and things behind them are, and read a lot of books on that kind of stuff. And it's definitely one of my personal and key passions. And so when you hear me maybe give a position or a concept on something, that is only my own position. I am not a public affairs officer for the Marine Corps. I am in no way giving what the Marine Corps' official position on anything would be. And honestly, a lot of the topics we're going to cover here, I'm pretty sure the Marine Corps doesn't have a particular position on. Um, so if you do have any questions about what the Marine Corps' policy on certain things could be, you can definitely research that and find those out um, or leave a comment or send us a message uh, if you can get a hold of us somehow. We can maybe be able to answer those questions for you. So, with that said, let's get you back to this week's content. And we're back. <laughs> Easy day. It's nice that we can do that. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else will do the the, the things. They'll, they'll do yeah. the needful. <laughs> I probably need to actually record a new one because uh, obviously I'm like off keto right now. But I'm going to try to stick to it for most of the trip. I'm going to probably enjoy myself at Disney World a little. That'll be a break week or whatever. But I'm still going to kind of get back to it. And then after the vacation, for sure, going back on hard. And, like, my cheeks kind of pudgy in that video. Did you notice that? Yeah, you're. I was going to say, like, you're, you're definitely, your face is much slimmer. Well, your whole, like, face, neck, your whole body probably slimmer, too, but yeah, you see your body. It's 45 pounds, man. I'm, I'm sure I put back on five while I'm done this break. But. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, when I went keto, I dropped, I think, 30-something pounds. Yeah. And then I was getting into, like, I got into the 160s and I was like, all right, it's probably time to stop. <laughs> like, let's uh, 
let's eat normally because for for me it was like a run runaway train like i kept just losing weight and i didn't i don't want to be in like the 150s because my head would be way too big you know so <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like let me look normal i think 170 in the 170s is like my ideal weight but even before i did keto i always thought for me 200 pounds was like my my go-to weight like just stay 200 pounds like you're good not 250 you know not 180 200 pounds i look good i feel okay then i did keto i got down to like the 170s and i was like you know what yeah. i feel pretty good let's just yeah just stay here yeah i think I'll, I'll probably end up gaining some back when i get back to like strength training the way i really like to and yeah. it'll be muscle though so i'll be all right with it. yeah just just be careful well no don't be careful but just be aware that like some of the exercises that, you, that you're going to do, it might not be, your body might not respond the way it used to. So. Oh yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm expecting it could come back totally slow because of because of keto. Like uh, it's not going to want to do what it wants to do, used yeah. to do. So it's be I mean, different, but. You could do it, but it's just like so for me. The, the example is, I started like cycling, obviously on the Peloton bike, and when I did jujitsu when I was in keto, I was fine. Like I could, you know, I did jujitsu just fine. But on the bike, I was just like, I was dying. Like when I when I went back into keto, and I was just like, why is everything so much harder? And then I, you know, eventually started introducing cars back in. I was like, okay, I can do this now. But I think the problem is that when I was doing jujitsu, I was already like at a certain level where I can use technique to like not gas out. But when I'm on the bike, mm -hmm. like I'm literally like constantly cycling, yes. and it's like when you're even when you're like bicycling outside, like in a normal environment, you're not constantly fucking turning your you know your your pedals coast yeah you but you don't you don't coast on a peloton bike cuz it's it's a weighted uh flywheel so you have to keep pedaling the whole time i just didn't recognize that but yeah you know yeah. just get make adjustments <laughs> well all right um you want to kick it off yeah you want want me to talk about my my guy my favorite president of all time yeah i mean maybe we just both list our favorite and then um go from there okay my favorite is Lyndon B. Johnson. All right. <laughs> My favorite is also Lyndon B. Johnson. All right, great podcast. <laughs> yeah, I got to do the joke. I got to do it. Yeah, because and we both knew. We both talked about it earlier. As soon as you mentioned, I was like, we're gonna have the same. We're gonna have the same story. <laughs> but I, I do think um, you've learned some new ones, and we may have different key points we want to make um, about why. Well, I thought yours before. Hold on, we talked about this before on another podcast. That's why I thought it was going to be different. Uh, I thought it was um, Jesus Christ. There was a different president that did the whole. The guy that made the national force thing. What's the guy's name? Roosevelt. Teddy yeah, Roosevelt. Roosevelt. I thought Roosevelt was your guy. He he would potentially, and I was going to say, if you want me to pick someone other than the same one. Okay. Roosevelt would be my next for for a couple of reasons, and so we can go into kind of, kind of we'll finish up Johnson on yours, I guess, and we could talk about Roosevelt a little bit on mine. Well, the interesting thing about you know me actually researching a lot more of the policies that Lyndon Johnson had is that yeah he was great for like a lot of purposes, especially like civil rights, especially civil rights and poor people, but he's not without controversy. So no. as I was doing research, like you know the there was the whole Vietnam thing and continuing escalations with Vietnam. That's a huge black mark on his, on his mm -hmm. presidency, and there's also some crazy conspiracy theories about how he had, uh, you know, JFK assassinated, which I don't 
subscribe to. I don't think he did. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so a little, that's a little, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a reach, you know, especially because um, the things that he was championing for JFK wasn't really a champion for like LBJ. Go ahead. I was like, yeah, they weren't they weren't competing for the same votes, no. you know, and so. I don't know if you saw this, but one of the key things that made Johnson successful was like he knew exactly like what the votes would be. He was really, really good at counting votes. He could look or he could do the math and say like this will pass or this won't pass. This is what would need to be done in order to get these people to agree. And um, he he knew that wasn't his competition. He wasn't competing for the same votes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a he was a really smart dude and he uh the fact that he grew up in texas and you know the south and he grew up in racist times and he had to mm-hmm. like kind of rise above that and it, it, even before he had some you know sort of racist views um in his past but he rose above that once he saw poverty and once he saw that poverty like who poverty was affecting the most and he saw it was you know mostly um black and brown people and then he was like, you know what? I'm going to take a stand. And he used to be a teacher too. So that's when he started recognizing these things. And he really didn't stop, you know, fighting for poor and poor people's rights and, you know, civil rights in general for um, minorities. And it, he didn't have to do it at all. No. It, so the the book that I, um, it's a, it's a freaking three part, like, master's class series basically on Lyndon Baines Johnson called master of the Senate. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's written by Robert a Caro. And I remember reading it. This has been years, right? I read it years ago and it's called master of the Senate. It mostly follows his years in the Senate, not his years in the presidency. And it kind of ends there. It's like that. It was his work towards that point because his story of being president has been told so much that this, this author really wanted to focus on his years in the Senate. And, uh, what I felt like he did that was super, super smart was, like you mentioned at the time, it's it's racist times. These are times when that was the normal dialogue, right? We're talking about um, segregated drinking fountains and everything, right? And so he saw those issues, and you can read in his notes and in his stuff that he understood what the real problem was that he wanted to fix, but he talked about it as helping the poor and help like basically trying to keep that out of his dialogue so that he could get more votes. Right. He knew I have to do the math on what I say. Every word is going to matter. And the people who I'm trying to help are going to know, but then the people who I need to vote for this so they can help them need to maybe think I'm kind of doing it a different way. Yeah. Like misdirection. Like he was magic (laughs) man at this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he did a, did a really smart thing of just, like, seeing, like, people that, that were in need. And I think that's something that people in today's politics, they think about people that are in need, and they just think about what can I get from their voting group. And I don't think that that was really in his mind. And in my opinion, I think that what was in his mind is that the people that are in need, um, we need to show the rest of America that these people are in, are in need and to get them to get on this side to like get them the proper um rights as everybody else 
So what were um, some of the key things he actually like passed or did that you thought were really big? And I'm going to pull up oh. a couple of mine because I'm not fully prepared for it, to be honest. There was a lot. I have, a, I have a, a very long list. And this is, okay, before we get into this list, I want you to, I'm, we're going to read off, I'm going to read off these things. He's going to read off some more. And I want you to just think about in today's time, can you think about any president in the last 20 years that has done anywhere near this amount of work. And this is, I'm truncating what he did through his policies. Okay. And these are not executive orders. They're actually bills that were passed, ratified. They're in law and amendments. They're, most presidents, they don't, they don't come anywhere near this as far as like actually getting shit done. That's going to be lasting. So I'm going to start off with the first one. All right. And it's 24th, the 24th amendment. And it was ratified on January 23rd, 1964, and it was basically abolishing poll taxes. So before, uh, if you were, if you wanted to vote, you got taxed when you voted. And this seriously disenfranchised people that were poor, people of color, because they were likely poor as well, because, you know, they didn't have money. (laughs) So abolishing the poll tax made sure that uh, poor people and minorities that were also poor, um could vote without having some without having to pay a tax so that's a huge deal huge for voting rights you want me to keep going you're so you're saying we're gonna go back and forth so you're saying a removal of the poll tax was probably one of the biggest ones you said because that's that was the the amendment part not, that was the, the, amendment. Like, yeah yeah there's there's more that was just that was the one that happened i think it was one of the first things that he did yeah. Oh, hold on. So, I think we both kind of messed up. If you're outside of America, or even if you're an American, you're thinking, uh, how did Lyndon B. Johnson become president? Well, he was the vice president when uh, JFK got assassinated. So that's a became, and then he also uh, was voted in president after uh, his first term as like being yeah. promoted to president. So, you know. Yeah. And so what's weird is he technically, right? He technically could have run again hmm. because. While he served the remainder of that first term, he wasn't elected yeah. for that first term. So then he, he won the second one, the second term that he served, and was elected to it. So he could have technically run again if he wanted to and been, you know, the second longest sitting president if, if he had done that. But he didn't, he didn't want to. Yeah, he was, he was kind of, well, I think he, he, I'm pretty sure he died shortly after he was done being president. So yeah. he kind of he knew that he was at the end of what he could do effectively anyways. Uh, a lot of his effectiveness had died out at that point. People had met, you know, like a lot of happens in politics. People figured out how to counter a lot of what he was doing. So Yeah. All right. For me, some of his big stuff came prior to it. Like I said, I, I read his stuff on being in the Senate on his way there, which made me like recognize more about what he did in the presidency. But I really liked kind of focusing on, him fixing up the Senate, like making it actually a functional thing. Cause it was much like it is now before he was there. Um, he created like blocks of people who he could work through. And so because of that, he was able to do a lot with, um, pushing power infrastructure, um, out through all of the States, making it kind of a requirement, pushing through some laws that would have gotten, uh, stopped in the Senate in order to make power, distribution a requirement right everyone needs to have access to sustainable reliable power that was one of the big things he pushed that i thought was huge and i think is something that needs to be 
talked about in other like topics today is you know there's is there a is there an argument for the similar kinds of things with other infrastructure type projects today that needs to be done like the internet and the post office pushed the internet that's a great idea i'm just saying man <laughs> someone not, needs to right that's probably it, it needs idea. To say, well in like you said the post office should do it yeah yeah <laughs> i did say that last week so like like it, it it makes sense right so infrastructure to support communications and like access to information was a huge part of it and i'm if you didn't watch last week that's kind of where that idea went was that was what the post office was for and it would be so weird it was so weird i was like it dawned on me when i was listening to that book like that means the post office should basically be responsible for making sure we all have access to the internet it was kind of one of those lightning bolt moments. I was like, wow, that's, that's a crazy idea. <laughs> that's never it's not crazy. I, I, honestly, I think it should happen because, I mean, at some point, the internet is going to become a utility. It, it should have been a utility like at least 10 years ago, probably more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at that point, it should be something that the government should be able to guarantee to any home. And why not use the post office to do that? I mean, it, it's a it's a guaranteed right, you know, money generator for the post office. Yeah, and, and now we're leaning towards potentially having an option where that doesn't mean, you know, miles and miles of fiber optic cables laid between the next closest node in that rural town. You just put a Starlink terminal out there and yeah. boom. So, I don't know. It seems like it could work. I think it could work. Yeah. Well. What's that? I, I think it could work. I think it's an, it's an excellent idea. So, yeah, so that for me was one of the big ones for, for Johnson was like this idea that he was willing to fight to make sure that something that had clearly become possible uh, to make reliable and accessible to everybody and made people's lives better, um, that it should be a requirement. So yeah. I thought that was cool. And I think almost everything that's probably on both of our lists that he did, it goes down to helping out like the common man and common woman as well. People that don't, that are not, not rich, that. people that are poor, you know, like getting power. Like, yeah, if, if you were rich back in the day, you'd, you'd have power. But, you know, if you were living in, you know, Podunk, Mississippi, you probably didn't have power back then, you know? No. Or, Texas, you know, too. That's his home state. He was like, yeah. Texas is bad. It's all, like, there's tons of space that have no power. Yeah, and they still have issues with power, and they just, they're passing. I'm not going to go into it. I'm going to go off on a tangent. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. No, no. <laughs> go, go back and check out our podcast, uh, Infrastructure and Power in Texas, when they had this stuff go out. And we made the point that it's probably the exact same power infrastructure that Johnson made sure came around in the 1960s and 70s. So. Yeah, yeah. And they're passing other legislature that has nothing to do with, like, they're actually securing their power in their state. So that's that should be of, of most importance. And they're not, it's not the top priority. It's not. It's just weird. You would think in a place that gets hot as fuck and cold as fuck that maybe having power would be important, but, you know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go I'm gonna go to mine since we're going back and forth. Yeah, let's, move, let's move past it. Keep yeah, going. we'll move past it. Sorry, Texas. <laughs> we'll go to the, the biggest... The, the main reason why uh, Lyndon B. Johnson is my favorite president of all time is uh, because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, where... He outlawed discrimination based upon uh, race, color, sex, religion, or national origin. So, yeah, that was a that was a huge deal, uh, giving everybody the same equal rights. Finally, even though in the Constitution it says you know, uh, 
we're all created equal, but we're really not because it's all men are created equal. So obviously that immediately excludes women, and uh, it obviously didn't extend to slaves or people that were indentured servants. So yeah, the fact that he, he Native he, Americans, yeah, Native Americans, yeah, any any group, non, non-whites, non-European. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that was that was a huge deal to to get that pushed through, especially at at, at the time where there was like a lot of riots going on. Not, not really right. It was, it was a lot of protests and then a lot of heavy handed uh, police brutality. And then there were some riots that kind of went through even past that time. But um, recognizing that you have a huge wound on American, on just day to day American life. And Hey, let's fix that. It's a, it's a huge issue. Let's fix it through legislature. And I think that that has done uh, some of the most good, in America, more than any. Actually, it's probably up there with like one of the most important things that's ever been done. Because yeah, you might say like, oh well, you know, the slaves were freed, but they they were f- quote unquote freed. You know, they were free, but then they had no jobs. They they uh, shortly after that, you know, federal and local governments made up a whole bunch of bullshit laws that would p- put you know former slaves in jail back basically back into slavery uh just for not having a job you know and they had jim crow laws you know so but this eliminated eliminated the vast majority of that up until some other fuckery came around but still he did reestablishing some of that old shit yeah he did his best to to fix it and i think that he's done the most to fix the obvious issues that we had around racism in america so you mentioned it right so it's that he it passed in 1964, right? Yeah. So it was 1963 when he technically became president. And he had started working all of this stuff when he was still in the Senate prior to Kennedy even being elected. Um, it, it was funny, too, because, like, he he was kicking ass. Like, I talked about, like, this is the stuff. The, to me, like, the big Fireball Johnson stuff happened in the Senate. And he then got, you know, becomes on the same ticket as Kennedy um, and, and still felt like he was going to have this kind of like this punch impact that he's been having in the Senate as like the leader of the Senate. And, uh, and then he's the vice president yeah. and he's, he was just so pissed and frustrated. He's like, I can't do anything. And people who are now the new, the new like leaders in the Senate who took over some of his old positions and stuff, they weren't listening to it. They're like, nah, we, we got this stuff. And so he's trying to, you know, still work deals like he was doing before, but they're like, you can't, you don't have any power to, to sway anything. So he's still trying to work through this bill that he had started when he was in the Senate um, and that, you know, Kennedy and him both were kind of pushing for it, but it was not going anywhere. But then, you know, tragedy strikes and then he was able to then, okay, now I am the president. Get this thing done. Yeah. <laughs> was able to then really put some leverage on and actually get it done. It was, like you said, it was one of the very first things and clearly something that he thought was very important and obviously very, very much was um, to make sure that he kind of, especially right after a tragedy like that to start trying to use that to, it's terrible, right? But we talk about politicians learn that you need to use tragedies to, to create um, good social opportunities to move forward and unify and be better. And he did that, right? Took that tragedy and turned it into something that was intended to make us a better society. Yeah. I think, you know, in today's terms, like people use tragedies to like kind of just oppress more people, you know, it's like, 
Look at like the last few tragedies that we've had like around the world, and like the vast majority of them is just to just keep oppressing people. And the fact that you know he back then decided to, you know, use a tragedy to actually uplift people. Yeah. Um. I I think that's that's altruism, man. I mean, I he didn't need to do it. You know, there's like nothing in his life. I mean, yeah, he saw poverty, but so many people see poverty, they don't care. They're they're apathetic about it. But you know, the the fact that this guy saw it and he was just like, we need to like fix this. They're all Americans. Let's make sure that they're all treated as Americans. And let's make an actual change for us to, to, to heal this nation. And I think that's great because I, I think he saw the issues with, you know, continued segregation and um, racism in America and just, like, brutality. And it's just like, let's try to fix it. And we need some more of that today. Like, just trying to fix things. And I think um, part of what made that possible for him was, well, you know, you might not call it, neither of us would maybe call it, like, poverty for it but his family fell on hard times when he was young when he was like 13 14 years old he saw how bad it could get like they had to sell the farm they had to move to like to this different house in town so they could just get jobs like they they fell on some hard times hard enough to be like this is not good that there's a system you know that can make it this hard for us like how bad is it for everybody else yeah and i think that's i was watching a documentary where where he went to like a different neighborhood and he was like oh this is what it's like. Yeah. yeah. Like when he saw like what it's like, he saw like, sorry to say like, only cause it's, it's only, only cause it's going to sound fucked up, but please take this as me with like the greatest intentions. Okay. He saw like what it was like to be in poverty, like when you're white and then, then to be like in poverty, if you're a minority, like it's, 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 it can be different. Yeah. And, and he saw that different. I'm not saying that it's different all the time. I understand there's plenty of poor people of European descent, that live, you know, terrible lives. And I'm not discounting, like, what you went through. But no. let's lift everybody up, you know? Yeah, I think what you're saying is, on the average, within a demographic, it's a hell of a lot more likely yeah. that you are poor and are uh, uh, beyond poor, are in poverty, right? I mean, there's another stage beyond that. Yeah. Um, if you're not white or of European descent. So that's why it's like, it's not that it's not possible. Um, and obviously he saw it, I saw it, and like you're saying, it's not, not excluding someone else's experiences. No, neither of us would do that. We're just saying, like, we're talking about a lot of averages here. We're talking about the, the, the standards and, like, the, the basic concept. And if the societal norm is that it's more common, then maybe there's a problem there. Well, it's, it's, it actually goes beyond the law of averages. It's, it's actually, it was the law back then. Like where if you were, you know, black, you got redlined. Like you couldn't, you literally could not buy a home in an affluent neighborhood, you know. Um, and it happened with, you know, other ethnicities as well. I'm not going to say just black because, I mean, natives here, they got put into reservations, which is on yeah. mostly shit land. So. <laughs> which is weird, right? So how common do you think the knowledge would be, the understanding would be of the average citizen, the fact that Indian reservations exist. Yeah, they oh, don't, yeah. yeah. They know that. They know that. But they don't know, the, the, they don't understand the living conditions and the land but, they're actually so I, was, I was going a different way with it. Uh, uh, so like, you're fine. So, but how, how much do they know about redlining? Yeah, zero. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, we know that Native Americans were put on reservations and told, you will just go live over there in that box. But there's very little discussion and very little understanding and conversation about the fact that, like, they did the same thing. They said, you group of people will just go live over here in this little area. 
And you, so yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. crazy. Like, it, and honestly, I think I'd heard of it, didn't understand it, and then when we really laid it out last season, that was when it really all kind of clicked together. You know. Well, you know, when you think about like comparing it, like honestly, I think that if if they would have given you know people of African descent like our our own reservations and didn't like overly police us, I think we'd be better off. To be honest with you, because we had times where we had affluent communities, where we had our own like little groups, but they didn't leave us alone. Like they literally bombed us and had the police come in kill us, burn down our homes, and, like, if you don't look up the, the Tulsa race riots, there's a whole bunch of race riots, and I can go into the whole history of it, but there's a lot of times where just, like, people saw that, you know, black people were getting too much, and they decided to rob, kill, and steal from them, or that was two things that were the same thing, robbing and stealing, but, yeah, basically, they, they took everything from them and killed them. It's, so, I mean, I guess... It depends, right? So the if it puts you in the same land spaces where you really weren't going to have any opportunity to be successful to begin with, yeah, yeah. Uh, then then they don't have anything to worry about. We can leave you alone. You're just not going to be very successful. But then, it, you know, that only lasts until we realize there's lithium there, and then in the domain, and then we're going to take your land back. Yeah, and that's yeah. I, that's how the government works. Especially yeah, I remember there was like a couple of stories too where like there was there's groundwater where the if you're on native lands you can't even dig so far into your ground to get groundwater i'm just like all of a sudden like a certain amount of feet underground is then federal land again i'm just like first of all this is all their land anyway you know it's like what the fuck like seriously anyway sorry hold over tangent maybe we'll do a thing about native native americans um and native people and like how they're getting especially fucked to this day it's it's crazy. Anyway, yeah, it's a whole different. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the tribes today have now kind of learned how to how to flip the script and take advantage of the rest of society a little too. So we it could be a fun one. Yeah, it, it will be a fun one because obviously they have you know they they're using basically greed <laughs> to, to to get back at at they're playing the white people game. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. Get Next thing you know, no, I'm not even go. Yeah, it's it's a different podcast. Sorry, so it, 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 we have to like do research. I don't want to. I don't want to sound flipping about it. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. So I'll talk okay, about civil uh, rights. You go ahead. It's on you, I think. No, it's on you. I just yeah. said the civil rights act of. You did. You did. That's right. Um. So let's see. Uh. Sticking with Johnson. Sorry, I'm trying to trying to stick to it there. Um. Man, I'm, I'm drawn like if you got another one, go. I have I'm, I have a whole bunch. All right, so yeah. the economic economic opportunity act, which was in August 30th of 1964. Holy shit, we're at three things, three major things that have been done in one year. It's amazing, isn't it? Anyway, he signed this, uh, creating an office of uh, economic opportunity um, to begin to begin the war on poverty. So once again, it's a trend here. He's trying to end poverty. He's trying to like seriously get to the issue of economic disparities in america and he's he's keeping like he's passing things laws that will end that so it's going to be a running theme throughout probably this entire podcast so i think it's astounding right that these weren't these weren't um these weren't executive orders right no because those are not 
yeah, these, these weren't things where he just, he's going to write something up and pretend like something got done. This was really getting things put into law yep. and, and made so that they're real and, and concrete and can't change until someone can go in and actually change the law, right? Because yep. next president comes in, executive orders are all gone, I'm going to start a new one. This, I mean, that's insane, right? How much was able to be used in that first year? Yes, first, first year. year. Yeah, first year. These three, the 24th Amendment, Civil Rights Act, and the Economic Opportunity Act were all done in 1964, the year after he became president. Of and we're not, we're not even talking about just law. Sorry, hold on. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about just law. We're talking about two laws. Yeah. And a freaking constitutional amendment. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's more. There's, there's plenty more. So we're, we're just getting started. started. <laughs> we're just getting started. Like this, he wasn't—he wasn't fucking around. Like there, there's so many platitudes, especially today, with every single candidate that have they—they'll—they'll they'll say things, but they won't do those things. But when Lyndon B. Johnson was given the reins, he was like, "I'm—we're <laughs> going. This is what we're doing." And this is like—he laid out what he wanted to do, and every single time. He was pushing, you know, Congress to, to do these, you know, either amendments or, you know, law changes. That's what he wanted. And, you know, I don't understand why it's it's not it shouldn't be that difficult. Obviously, today we have the filibuster. I don't know when the filibuster was actually created. Um, I can't remember the actual date. Do you know offhand? Was it before uh, 64? To, to what, what I understand, it has always been a thing. But um, it's rarely used, it just, though really became an emphasized tool around um, around Johnson's time. So in, well, maybe this is in why. his time, they, they started using it a lot. He was getting too much shit done, y'all. <laughs> but I mean, like, so even when he was in the Senate, it, okay. was, it was there. So he, but he found his way through those things. Um, and I was reading, I'm trying to figure out how I wanted to talk about him because for, for my stuff for him was a little different than I think and it's harder to just, like, capture pieces of it. It was, like, presence and things. Yeah. And, and that's a part of how he got those things done. So it's this idea that once he was in the Senate and he was, like, the master of just getting stuff done through there, I think once he was then back in the presidency, not just the vice president, and actually had, like, some kind of authority where he's like, I can do things, you know, I can do things for you, and I can get things done for you. But I need you to vote this way. Um, so he was really tall, for one. He was a big dude. And so they had this thing, it was called the Johnson Treatment, where when he knew that he could probably get your vote with a certain little bit of convincing, he would do the, um, the, the, like, the handshake that like pulls you in really, really close and like gets all up in your face, and he's this big dude, and he's like whispering and just making it really weird and uncomfortable, and would you know offer and cajole and eventually like basically bribe, right? He's like, hey, look, if you need something, we'll make sure that it happens, but I need you to vote this way on this thing. Uh, and do that for one, for one, for one, for one, until it's like, okay, that's the five that I needed. I'm not going to write anybody else. And the vote goes in and passes, right? Nice. He was like that. And uh, I think that's how he was still able to then, you know, make these kinds of things happen fast. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably likely why the whole Vietnam War thing happened with the escalations. It's probably because of the, the deals that he made. Probably. <laughs> probably. I mean, and, and I think being, so he's, he was, he was a Southerner. He was from Texas. He may have still been like and that might have been something he kind of did believe in right he's like we're doing something potentially again you know i thought that all the time a lot of times people make these decisions they're doing it with good intentions not necessarily realizing the like long-term repercussions or the negative impacts that might happen and i think he may not have 
had enough information to, to make a better decision, but also maybe he thought that, you know, he, he didn't necessarily have a problem with the idea of going to war. He's a, he's a Texan, right? He's like, yeah, <laughs> we'll fight. We'll, we'll fight for this country. We'll do those kinds of things. And maybe just didn't, didn't think of how it looked globally because uh, he, was, he was more willing to accept it. Like, this is fighting for something that he understood to be right and that maybe didn't know the, the quiet market he got to. Yeah, well, the whole like communism versus you know capitalism thing is. I, mean, I think we'll have to do a podcast on that eventually, on like the Cold War and like the whole philosophical things of communism versus uh, capitalism. Because I think it's kind of lost on the newer generations of like, yeah, why are we so against communism? It's like, it's a good question, and um, I think we laid out like slightly in other podcasts of like what capital what communism actually is. Mm-hmm. And why it's not, it's never really been, like, seriously implemented. There's been, like, tries. But um, back then it was, like, a horrible scare to America because you had a huge uh, force of, you know, Russia and China that were com- communist countries that had anti-American policies. And so if you saw it spreading, like, what would you do to stop it? Because like, you don't want another country um, of any kind because you already have these two major countries that have this philosophy that are against you. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, if it's better for the country, like, why do you give a fuck? You know? Unless you think it's an imminent attack on America, then may- then yeah, I guess. But I don't think that Vietnam was going to, you know, pick up arms against America and, like, attack us. Like, I don't. Yeah. So the <laughs> idea was, Cold War stuff was is weird, but the idea was that they would then become client states that then would have to kind of provide... They would be expecting... Um, to provide resources to the larger communist state that supported them, yeah. that would provide them with military resources, would do these other things, like whoever helped them, they have to then, you know, help them out afterwards. Um, and so there was all the, it was the proxy war thing. Like, yeah, we call it the Cold War, but it was like, it was just that the war was happening somewhere else. Yeah. Sounds kind of familiar, but. Yeah, and it was uh, just, it, to, to me, it was like one of those things to where I wish the UN, even to this day, that the UN was just like a more of an effective force police force in the in the world they, they're so yeah. somebody needs to like sit down and like hey listen if we're going to be the police of the, of the world then we need to be the police of the world and you know people that are that the countries that are in the un you have a un force that if someone if a country's fucking up then we get our you know our forces together and we do something about it not just oh well, one country has a problem with this one country and then they yeah. do something and then maybe a couple of the un people help them but no, it needs to be a unified front. So. Yeah, the, the forces of the UN have to be strong enough to make people think twice about doing things that would be contrary to what's best for the like global community yeah. in order for it to be effective. Have you seen? Um, have you seen? Uh, oh gosh, I can't. I just thought I just lost the thing. It's a space sci-fi thing. Why can't I think of the name of it? Space sci-fi before. thing. I know a lot of space sci-fi things. Uh, but it's got um, it, where basically the Earth is managed by the UN. Uh, it's it's Elysium? right now on it's right now on Amazon Prime. I can't think of the name. Elysium? No, that's not the UN. No. Uh oh my it's called the something. I'm gonna talk about anyways. Anyways in it, yeah, the, the the world is managed by the United Nations. They're the ones with the, the the military and the space force that can like go out to other planets. Um honestly I, I think that's that's the way it it should be. I think that at this point, uh, 
America's kind of on borrowed time as far as like how long an empire can go. Because usually, I think it's like three hundred years, right? It's usually like the 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 main marker. Like usually, it's three hundred years or less in most. Three hundred, yeah, three hundred to five hundred, depending on how big they were. So like Romans, obviously a bit longer, but uh, after that, yeah, yeah, we're two hundred to two two three hundred to five hundred, yeah, something like that. Yeah, we're we're fastly approaching that number, and I think that we're seeing it now of like how how far our our government is trying to prop up financially all these institutions when we don't have to, and it's just like we're just hurting ourselves and like other we're we're, we're letting other nations get stronger when we could just work together and just make the world better, you know, instead of just trying to ensure that uh, certain people in America make more money. Yeah. It's it's really stupid. I think I think at this point we're at the we're at the tail end of what capitalism can do only because the way that when I said before like we never really had true communism in the world or true socialism in the world. We haven't really had true capitalism in America. Like look at every time like people talk about capitalism, you know, you know the best product wins or you know whatever. But no, that's not how it works in America because we just saw it like years ago where you, you have a company that's quote unquote too big. And if they take too many losses, then the U.S. government will swoop in and take our tax, steal our tax dollars and give it to these corporations. Like, is that fair? No, it's cheating. Like they're literally stealing from us to make sure that our corporation survives. And pe- we have people that are literally dying in the streets. And I'm not being dramatic. There are people that are dying in the streets because they're homeless and they don't have a job. And corporations are making trillions of dollars in profits. It's wrong. Yeah. There there may have only been one short period in American history where there was, like, pure capitalism. Uh, so from, like, 1776 to 1790, while it was in its infancy and not being managed and there was no national bank. And then Hamilton makes the first national bank in 1790. And now it's not really because now it's being managed, right? It's yeah. Being, Kind of like there are rules and regulations and guidelines and things. So for those few years, those those fourteen years, or whatever, maybe, maybe, and probably not, right? There's probably still some state level management, some some other things going on, just not federally managed. The states were still involved, so. Yeah, this is where I'm going to get libertarian on y'all for a minute, even though I'm not a libertarian. But once we started getting into the war, anyone every once in a while, yeah, yeah. Once we started getting into like the whole war economy. You know, that's where we started getting fucked, I mean, basically, because we, we decided to because uh, before uh, World War One, it was only the rich that really paid taxes. That was it. And everything was fine. The things got done. Roads got built. Bridges got built. Buildings got built. <laughs> we were fine. Then all of a sudden we went to, you know, the World Wars and then we just kept it rolling. Like, yeah, they, they started taxing everybody to like for the war effort. I'm like, okay, that's understandable for a short period of time. Like, you, you, you have to win a war. I get that. We need to, like, have additional resources from everybody. I get that. But why are we still in the war economy today? Like, look at the how many how much of our tax dollars go towards the Department of Defense. It's, it's way more than anything else. And it's like, why? Like, there's literally... To me, there's no logical reason of why we're giving up so much money to the Department of Defense, even though I, I, you know, we need the military. I get that for defense. I got that. 
but we also don't need uh you know trillion dollar you know war fighting planes that you have to pay millions of dollars to repaint when it, when it gets wet like this is serious waste um and we have all these other systems that that are part of the department of defense that are just they're antiquated uh they're not what everybody else is going towards uh whoops hold on sorry something come up my screen we're behind on times and we're spending way too much money on things that are just old and fucking dumb. So I think we could seriously streamline the DOD. Yeah, talk about those those like tens of millions of dollar aircraft, right? That 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 don't talk to each other. Yeah. It's dumb. Like I don't and we yeah. just people are just like, Oh yeah, we need a we need we need to have, you know, a, a good military. I'm like, Yeah, yes, we need to have a good military. Yeah. But we don't need to spend half of our budget. To have a good military, we really don't. And like I said, go ahead. There are definitely more efficient ways to do a lot of the things that we're doing, and I'm not going to say that there aren't people who are wanting to do that because I'm obviously one of them. I'm doing everything I can within within my sphere of influence to like affect things, but it's still only so much that can be done by the people who are interested in in you know, improving efficiencies and improving the quality while still trying to do that efficiently, right? So the, you've seen the, um, the the triangle, like you can only pick two thing. Yeah. Right? So it's like you can either be fast, it can either be good, or it can either be cheap. You can't, you can't have all three. You have to pick two. <laughs> and so, like, I'm okay with it being less expensive, like a balancing of some. Like, make it less expensive but it also still needs to be good. So it's probably not going to be fast. So it might take us a little bit of time to get there, but we should have that be our goal is to, to make it still good, but make it less expensive. So go ahead and take the time to do that work. Yeah. It's hard. It, it, it is hard, but it's also, it's like there's just so much money wasted on just like basic fucking things in the military. Like I said, like once they started uh, just like contracting out everything in the military, I'm just like, why? Like, like when I was overseas... Uh, working, as a, working as a contractor and I would go to like the bathroom like we had all these like Sri Lankan nationals cleaning the bathrooms and I'm just like why you have fucking PFCs in you know the military that can do this shit but me as a contractor I, I don't I wouldn't mind cleaning the bathroom like I don't give a fuck like you're paying me a lot of money like, I don't care if you want me to clean my own bathroom I don't care um, but meanwhile, the the, per- the Sri Lankan, first of all, is getting taken advantage of. He's being they're being exploited because they're getting paid nothing. They literally take their uh, their passports when they get in country and they can't leave. And then they're charging the U.S. military probably hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single person to clean a bathroom or to do the laundry or to do whatever. When literally we could have done all that shit ourselves, and it's re- and you literally can't do it. Like when I when I was in. Uh, the VBC, I couldn't do my own laundry. Like I had to literally go to a laundry place to do my laundry. I'm like, why am I giving my laundry to a person when I can do my? It's not. It's not hard to do my own laundry, but you're forcing me to do it. The the taking away of the passport thing, like yeah, that is not supposed to be allowed. So I don't know how no. that was happening. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely clearly against the whole lot of rules. Yeah, it's you go through these certain contracting companies, and it's just like it's a total Ugh. shit show. You know, and again, just because that's the rule, right? And people are supposed to be checking. 
things are going to slip through. And I, it's, it's ridiculous that that happened. I did not know about that. But Oh, yeah. I got, um, I got not a bunch supposed of bad to be stories. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got a bunch of bad stories. But mm. let's get back to Lyndon B. Johnson, the best president. Mm. <laughs> All right. So I think I'm up next. No, no, wait. Mm, I think it's you. I talked about that. I kind of, I kind of tried to put something in. I'm honestly not, not ready with a list of like things that he did. More of like just his. It was how it was the fact that he got so much done. Uh, the nature of the things he looked after. I wasn't ready with like a specific list of items, but also just, just the ability to actually have an agenda that is for the people, right? Yeah. And then actually be able to do it in a way that's not just the easy button of doing executive orders like they do these days that can be uh, wiped out the next president comes around um, and isn't actually even a thing that's written anywhere that they're allowed to do. Um, so for me, it was a combination of the impression that I got from his service in the Senate and then to the, so his service in the Senate, he worked so hard to get so many of these things passed that he worked himself nearly to death had a heart attack at like 55 um, and, yeah. and like rearranged his life. He changed his diet. He started working out more. He like realized like, I got to do, I got to take care of myself if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. Cause he was just working really long nights. He stopped smoking. Um, and you know, he said, he decided like, this is still important stuff that I'm doing. I can't just be running myself to the bone and then dying because, and then not getting stuff done, right? That was that was still the way he thought of it. It was like, I have all these things that I want to get done, so I, I have to be healthy um, in order to get them done. So he, it's like that kind of drive, that kind of passion for improving, you know, the lot of our society. Like, how, how much better can I make this place that I live in? Just, I don't know, it inspires me. I, I, I like that of it, and I... I don't feel, I don't know, like, it, it's obviously not the best, not the best way to do a podcast, but I, I honestly like, don't have a list. No. I don't have, like, this, no, this thing to go off. It's just this feeling, you know? No, it's fine. I, honestly, I think that on this topic, I think, I feel like we reverse roles where I have, like, all the data, or, like, some data, and you're just like, I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it, though, because there were things you're talking about that I didn't know that happened. Like, I didn't, I didn't know he had a heart attack. You know, yeah. I, I didn't know they quit smoking, so that's, it's excellent. Like, I'm still, still learning. Uh, so what we do, yeah, and, and like it, it's balanced now. Now we we switched roles. Is it is it also an exchange? I'm just just saying we did the thing, we did the thing. <laughs> All right, but unfortunately, I got a list. I'm just saying. Uh, only, let's see that list. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go back to let's see. In '65, he did a. He was calling for uh, voting legislation, and he addressed Congress to introduce voting rights legislation. Uh, basically, he gave a very long speech that called on white Americans to make the cost for African Americans their cost too. He was basically trying to say, "Hey, like you have other Americans that are here that need your help, that are Americans as well, and mm-hmm. let's help them elevate to like your level." they need to be able to vote along with their, along with all of you. And you don't see things like that anymore with like a president. Really? I mean, so there's a, there's a possible, right? 
um, totally cynical devil's advocate argument here too, though, where I talked about before, and when he's in the Senate, like he's the master of the math of the vote, right? Yeah. Where he could say like, if I, if I make sure that they have the the, the like rights to vote, remove all this other stuff, and then I advocate that everybody continues to be like, I'm gonna look like I'm gonna get that group to vote for me, right? Yeah. There's that cynical side of it, and I've seen those stories and those arguments of it, but. On the surface, and it would be super easy in today's media to spin that, right? Yeah. Um, but if you know his story and and what his how his like what his goals were and, and the progression of those things, it was a natural progression of the story. It wasn't this sudden new thing to get to get more votes to help make sure that you know my new agenda uh, has a a voting voting body to support it. It it wasn't that, it, but it certainly could look like it because when you were explaining that thing, I was like. Man, I could have spun what he did so easy. Like, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I like uh, the devil's advocate thing. Yeah, uh, honestly, I, I don't, I don't mind at all. The the thing is though, like if you think about it, like for me, it's like he would be advocating for maybe eight percent of the vote. You know what I mean? So that that's what I would come back to somebody that would say something like yeah. that. Is like, yeah, w- would you really spend so much time like fighting years of your life? trying to get maybe 8% of the American vote? Probably not. <laughs> no, and, and you got to think too, so he's from Texas. Yeah. In a southern state, you, yeah. you're going to lose a big part of your yeah. natural voting block by advocating for that kind of stuff, potentially. Yeah, he probably would have, he likely would have lost more than he would have gained. Yeah, so, and, and so, so like, if he's a master of math, and you think about that part of it, like, he wouldn't have done it unless it was important. And and if he felt like, I, I still got this in the bag for the next election um, because I'm doing good things. And there are enough people who will care. And he still got elected. I'm just saying. He still got elected again. Because this was what year you said? This was 65. I think he got reelected in 68, I think. I could have my, my dates wrong. Nope. Yeah, that same seems off. Because 61, I think, was when the two of them got elected together. He took it over in 63 or... Yeah. What was it? 1962, right? Johnson. I'm not looking at the right kind of chart. So was it after he got... Okay. Keep looking it up. I'll just say, like, the major things that he got... When he first started going, like, his whole, like, role of, like, getting shit done was in 64. Yeah. So, So 63 was when he took it over. Okay. Uh, I think it was 61 when Kennedy was elected, so okay. it would have been 61 through 65, so in 65 we were like, so like probably like right after that, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's, <laughs> these are still things that like, he's definitely rolling, the, the bowling ball's already going down, you know, so people understood what the fuck he was all about. And he yeah. still got elected, you know, on very controversial terms. And he, I think he ran against Nixon the, the first time he got elected, right? Yep. Yeah. And Nixon was super popular too. Yeah, and he was also really, really popular. Pretty fucking racist. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was originally going to be Nixon who was going to be um, freaking Kennedy's running mate. Um, but then, because they were still doing a lot of weird, like cross cross boundaries partnerships to run for president at the time, huh. like making up some some weird partnerships. I think, anyways. Um, I could be wrong on that. Now, now I'm thinking about it. But I know that there was some competition for the running mate, and it might not have been between Johnson and Nixon. I have to, I have to look back at it. But cause I, I feel like they were actually still... Let me go back to my list. I feel like they were still the same 
party. Was he a Democrat? No. Yeah, I was going to no. say, because Nixon Jonathan was a Democrat. Democrat. Nixon was a Republican. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a Republican. So, so I don't know. They were, that's what it was. They were battling out in the Senate for, for, for votes and stuff. I was like, I know there was this huge conflict between the two of them. Um, and it was, it was in the Senate while they were both in the Senate. Sorry. Okay. All good. All good. All right. Uh, the next one, because I guess I got the list. Unless you have something to, well, you already added. You have anything else to say about that one? Uh, nope, not right now. All right. So, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which he signed mm -hmm. um, in 1965, uh, is an act that emphasizes equal access to education, aiming to shorting, shortening the achievement gaps between students um, and providing federal funding to schools, especially to impoverished uh, communities and families. So... Obviously, that, that didn't, even though I'm saying that, it was passed, but to me, it was almost, it wasn't very effective because there's still way too many schools and impoverished communities that do not get proper funding. To me, one of the things that I would do if I was president, I'm sorry, if I was dictator, fuck it, because I didn't need to be dictator to get shit done, especially in today's like filibustery world, um, is to actually properly fund um, every single school district at the same level. Like, it bothers me that we don't provide federal credits to uh, local schools and colleges to make up the gap. Because cause the, the main argument is, oh, well, if you're in a poor community, they have, you know, they don't have as many taxes as, like, a, a affluent community. Okay, well, federal government should be able to come in and, and make up the difference. And to make it so that every single child should have the same basic education as everybody else. And we need to set a standard and then keep that standard in every single community. And that's not happening today. Yeah. I have to imagine. So this is, you know, talking about basic federal involvement, like probably, and it has to be from what I'm thinking too, this has to be like the earliest national level stuff. So yeah. part of the, part of the story goes that, that Johnson's ability to even just get out of that podunk stuff that he had going on was, access to public education in Texas. Texas had state-level paid-for public education for everybody, and not every state at the time did. Um, and so I think this was Johnson saying, like, look, the only way I was even able to do this was because I got some schooling. And so let's make sure everybody, especially the people I'm realizing right and that I through, have realized throughout my life, needed more than anybody, have the same access that I did. Um, and I wonder if this, so this being in my head, the first, like, earliest uh, federal-level, like, discussion on it, probably not, and maybe it was during the term, but I don't think it was. This would have led to the Department of Education. Like, this probably in the next president's term, they're like, hey, we have this thing, we need something to manage it, and the Department of Education probably established after that. Once they're like, we need something to kind of manage this stuff. Um, and then, yeah, we don't know how that went. Yeah, yeah, it needs to, it needs to be... It needs to be fixed. Honestly, it needs to become an actual, it needs to become an amendment, like an actual, like, learning amendment or, you know, mm -hmm. equal access to education amendment, something like that. Um, it needs to be done because at this point, we're doing a huge disservice um, to people because, like, President Trump and other presidents have pushed uh, this whole, you know, what do they call it? School choice. Or whatever. Yeah, vouchers. Yeah, or where you can just ship off your kid to some other school to get a better better education. I'm like, so first of all, 
you're literally admitting that where any where a child lives has sh- has shitty education. So instead of fixing the education where they're closest to, you want to ship them to some other place. And you're just you're just going to assume that the person, like the family can afford to ship their kids to some other school in some other affluent community and that they're going to be accepted there in the affluent community because they're going to probably be with people that are not in their same economic status. And you're just okay with that? Even just those transportation costs and how do you handle childcare and like how do you deal with the time differences? We're like not far from where we have to deal with the same problem like because of the, just the distance and what we got going on. But that, that little bit of a problem solving thing is a pain in the butt. And when you're dealing with scarcity versus abundance, like, yeah, we have time and money space to figure out the solutions to those problems. Not everybody does. Not everybody can take the time and go, how do I deal with where the children will be after school if they get out at three and I don't get out of work until five? What do I do with them at that time? Like, like not everybody has room to figure that out. Yeah, it's people that have uh, these half thoughts. Well, they're just like, oh, it sounds good. But they put no other thought into it. It just, you know, just it sounds good. Because it, 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 it only sounds good because your family doesn't have to go through anything like that. You know? Like, yeah. my, my daughter, she goes to school 15 miles away at a private school. She's going to, you know, pre-K. She goes to a Montessori school. Um, oh, nice. But, you know, not everybody can afford that. Because it's, it's expensive. <laughs> it's expensive. And once she starts yeah. going to, you know, kindergarten and elementary school... Like the closest, the closest elementary school to me, I don't want her to go to. You know, I, I, we probably have to put her in private school. So you mentioned for higher education stuff like community college and things. He did also do a second education thing, also still in 1965. So like, in in potentially during that first term, and he did do like a higher education act, which was kind of started the the federal funding uh, for. Um, College level stuff. I can't think of the FAFSA, right? So the the um, being able to do a federal grant, federal loans, and other things to go to college. So there there, is, there was some systems created to start looking at higher education as well, not just the the entry level education thing. So my God, you know, I just realized as we're talking about this, the guy who asked for this podcast, he's Scottish, and he's probably yeah. just like, how fucked up is America right now? Because I'm pretty sure, like where he lives, these are not issues. Like the education stuff is not an issue. At least education right. stuff is not an issue there, and this is where it comes. It comes down to like the amount of false bravado that America has, or like how good we are at everything. We're not good at everything, and if Dirty Stew, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, let me know what you think about what we just laid out about our education system. So yeah, yeah, I'd definitely be interested if you you got comments on like especially the education system stuff since we just brought it up and this is where we're talking about it, but how, how it's different. Is that a normal thing? Is there concerns over which school granted uh, like Scotland's a little bit smaller. So the idea of like needing to go to the next town over for a, a school is, is not probably as far. Uh, we're talking about crossing towns potentially that are nearly the size of Scotland. <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not that small, but no, it's not yeah, that small. It is but pretty, it, it's smaller than America, obviously, and California. But yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, it, it's still it's still a problem though. Like we 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 have to travel to get your kid a better education. I'm I'm wondering if that's like even an issue in Scotland. So I, I don't think it is. Cause I, I think Scot it's either Scotland or maybe it's I think it's Scotland where they have uh, ranked choice voting. 
pretty sure it's Scotland. Might be Ireland. Still, I'm sorry if it's Ireland. Um, <laughs> like, because they're like, it's way ahead of like, I think that every single, if you're going to vote on something, it should be ranked choice. Yeah, at, at uh, least that's and, that's a quick way to get at a problem that could be solved a couple of ways, but it's definitely a quick and easy way to make it. And it, and it makes sense to most people, I think, without doing some of the other, um, I think we talked parliamentary systems and some other stuff that I talked about. But, um, so I am reading something here. So uh, according to this, Scotland provides free education to all children living in Scotland and have done so since as early as the 17th century. Scotland schools operate on a curriculum for excellence which provides knowledge, skills, and attributes for learning and life to all nursery, primary, and secondary schooling between the ages of three and 18. Yeah. So, that's yeah. similar to like a public school system for us for basically elementary school through high school. But, um, but from the age of three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and again, not all preschool age for us would be open to everyone. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some access, but not Because well, there's no public pre-k as far as i'm aware there's some yeah there's, there? some. there's some okay well it's, it's not national right i mean no i mean i think so there's funding nationally but not all schools have access so like if you if your school districts want to start pre-k programs they can and they can seek national funding for it but it's up to the school district okay yeah because yeah we were yeah. talking about with with Riley, you know, our four year old, we're just like we need to get her, you know, into schools and like get you know social interaction and learn stuff and yeah, we ended up going with Montessori, but like it's not it wasn't a public option like that for where we live didn't exist really, so yeah, I think a lot of I you know societies I'll say within the United States, so regional city based stuff, a lot of groups don't consider any education prior to kindergarten at all like not even at home there's no like need for that that's when school starts which i mean there's a school of thought there right let them just not have to worry about that stuff but that puts a lot on a kindergarten teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah once they get in because they don't know you know like what does this kid actually know um Nothing. and i it's just it, it's, it's weird to me like if you can get your kids to, if you can get if you can teach your kids yourself yeah obviously do that we were, you know, getting, you know, we taught Riley sign language. That was the first language that she understood was sign language, to be honest with you. And they can do it quicker than you can actually make all of the weird things that your mouth and throat need to do to talk. Yeah, that's why we did it, because oh, she couldn't talk, but she can use her hands. So you communicate with sign language as we were talking. She, she understand English and, and sign language. Yeah. But... You know, there was like all these these things that you can do with your kids, but you can only you can only go so far. You only have so much time if you have a career. If you're not a stay at home, you know, parent, then you can't be there and dedicate all your time to teaching your kid all these yeah. things. And and definitely, even if you can, your kid is still going to miss out on social interactions with other kids their age. Yeah. And so that's what you're going to miss out on. And the fact that uh, America, on a national level, has, has just like well. Just let it fall through the cracks. It's like it's wrong to me. Like we we need to have like more funding on that level from like just educating kids from like toddler up, you know. But we just don't find that important. And I think this goes to the to the like workplace childcare discussion almost, and how some companies do it and realize that they actually have a hell of a lot better. Um, you know, because bottom line is always kind of thing, right? You have to talk about when you talk about any of these programs. 
But when you talk about taking care of the children of the people who work for you, if you make it so that that family is a part of your organization's family, yeah. um, I could I could see immediately looking at three. I was like, wait, so at three years old, there's a Scotland school that's a public school that everybody has access to, which means compared to us, that the parents go back to work two years earlier. Yeah. Just 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 public school system stuff. Yeah. Not even additional options that probably still exist at lots of workplaces in Scotland and here, right? So if you're having to get a really the perfect job and they have childcare programs taken care of as a part of your benefits at work, you can come back to work as soon as you're comfortable doing so. That makes you a more productive member of that organization. Like and, there's value there. There's and, value there. And I'm pretty sure in Scotland, uh, you have guaranteed national time off when you have a kid. We don't have that in America. There's no federal anything that says that. Yeah, there's yeah. no requirement that says that you need to take X amount of time off. It, it's fucked up. <laughs> and and actually, it's even, I mean, it's that, even worse for dads. Yeah. <laughs> game changer. Yeah, yeah, we definitely don't get it. I think so. Right now, the the, the they probably didn't have this at all when you were in. So, uh, dads get ten days now. In the ten whole days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You can take more leave if you want, but yeah, more of your own time. It's <laughs> fucking. Uh, and then they changed. They changed the PFT stuff just recently too. Uh, it was six months where like you need to be back to physically fit afterwards, no matter what, right? Mm. Um, but then, and so I think it's changed to a year uh, available. But I mean, if you can, if you're so certain, some people, you know, because the problem is, is that's not accounting for the fact that people's bodies respond differently, and so. Uh, to, are, you talking, are you talking that, about females or both males and females? For females. Okay, for I was pregnancy. gonna say, yeah. <laughs> After giving birth to their child, sorry. After giving birth to their child, like, I, so when I was in Okinawa in two thousand four or five or whatever, there was uh, a female marine that I would only ever see each day when I would go on my lunchtime run around the flight line in one direction, and she was running in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going that way from my work to go back, and then just happened to be that we always run the opposite way. So two, three, four times a week, see each other, go past each other. I start realizing, I'm like, this lady's very pregnant. <laughs> like, it's get, getting bigger as over the course of the, the six months we're doing this. And then suddenly, not there. I'm like, oh, maybe had the baby. And then, like, a week later, I was back. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> just back running. But because she just was consistent on it, that was yeah. for her body. That was fine. But that it shouldn't be on us to tell her that. She has to. No, There's like a realistic timeline where like after a year you, you know, you should be, um, I say should be, but again, it, apparently there were studies and made them want to make this change to extend it to a year. I think that's because it's more reasonable to say that's that's definitely a realistic time to say you should be able to come back. Yeah, if, I think if, if you have a, a kid in, uh, I married a marine. She's my ex-wife. I don't like her, but um, I think that it's unrealistic for. You know, people to get back into marine shape in that amount of time, especially when you're trying to take care of a kid. You know, unless you have like a, a, a decent partner that is willing to like help you out and like understand that, hey, your body has changed, your hips have changed. Like, you need to grapple with, you know, sudden weight gain over the past, you know, nine months and then atrophy in your muscles. And then you have to like get back into shape, you know. Like, if your partner doesn't get that, then you're kind of fucked. And especially if they're like, you know, women take care of baby, men take care of other things, you know, they, you're kind of fucked. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad the Marine Corps does that. But also, I think that 
I think that men need to understand that too. Like in general, that that also helped the Marine Corps is that you need to understand that like they just gave birth to a, a fucking human being and they need time for their body to readapt to like their, the new changes. And it's not easy. Like there, no man can possibly understand what it's like to, to give birth and to, like wreck part of your body. Possibly not every woman gets, you know, wrecked from that, but it's still, no matter what any, any, even a, the healthiest fucking chick on the planet has a baby, you're still going to have some downtime. Like there's still yeah. things that need to get readjusted to like your new body. Cause your body's going to change after this happens. And that's, that shouldn't be controversial to say. And yeah, you need time for that. And I think that if the Marine Corps was accounting for only six months, then yeah, that's uh that's pretty fucked. Yeah. That's the way it had been for forever as far as I know. And, um, Again, forever me and you the whole time we've been a part of this organization. So, but yeah, to, to change it to say that's important. But I think you were kind of going towards the point too, where the best way to help support that—I don't know the best way—but an important way to support that too is realize that that's happening on not the marine giving birth as well. And if she's, if my wife is dealing with that, the best way to support her is for me to be there and help take some of that weight off, so she can deal with that recovery. And ten days isn't necessarily enough. No, yeah, that's what the thing that I think most, I think a lot of women don't get. So I just kind of shit it on a little bit on, on on dudes for possibly not being there if you're there for you know your significant other and like sharing the actual parenting. Good on you. That's what you should do. Yeah. But this is where it comes down to like what some women don't understand is that men, when it comes to like having kids, we don't get enough time off. So from the get go, right when we have kids, we don't get as much time off as you do. And it, it, I think it's terrible because we don't, oh shit, I was about to get emotional. All right. Only because it's happened to me, you know, and it's like, you don't, you don't get as much time as you want to with your kids yeah. and you don't get, and it's time that you need with your kids to like form an actual, you know, bond with your children at a young age. And the, at least the Marine Corps, when I was in, didn't really seem to give a fuck about that. They're just like, you're going to come back and, you know, you didn't have a kid. So why do you, why do you need time off? And it's like, dude, like, this is, this is my child. Like, you're going to take me away from my child? Be, if there's a need for it, like, yeah, I get it. But if we're just, if we're in garrison, even if we're not in garrison, fuck that. I'm just, fuck that. Even if you're, you know, overseas, in war, whatever, you need to take some fucking time off to spend time with your kids. Cause this is what happened to me. All right. My, uh, then wife, you know, she, she got pregnant uh, shortly before I went on the Mew. And so, um, I was on the Mew and I had a chance to come back early. Cause I wanted to be there for, you know, my oldest daughter now being born and some fucking, uh, first Lieutenant took my spot to come to fly back from Australia to, the United States. And he had older kids. And I was just like, this is my first kid. Like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, you know, just took my spot. They didn't care. And it's like, it's, it's things like that. That's like the, 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 the tearing down of the, the American father. that I think that most people don't really seem to understand. They don't give a shit. And they wonder why there's like absentee fathers and shit like that. It's cause like, you're kind of incentivized to, to do that in most of American society 
to not be there because we have through whatever policies we have less time to be there with our kids yeah we're like at least taught that that's the norm so for for addison um i was in afghanistan when she was born jesus man and like um so she was due in august but then cindy messaged me like uh i just went to the doctor today and is she's you got like four days you need her now (laughs) i'm like it's impossible yeah so I, so I, she went to the doctor and they're like, you can do these exercises, drink this, rest like this, uh, walk here or there at these times, and you might make it four days. Right? And so she's like, you need to hurry up. So I give my, my boss, I'm like, hey, I know I was supposed to go on our next month for my baby, but she's going to have a baby like now. I need to go now if that's okay. And they're like, go pack your shit. Go. Get the hell out of here. So they were cool about it. We adjusted. We just moved the dates around. Um, so I go and I'm like, pack up everything and I go down to the AI and I'm sitting there waiting and it's like two hours later I'm like hey where's this helicopter he's like oh yeah that one didn't end up coming it's not gonna be another one for like four more hours I'm like okay I'm gonna leave my stuff here I'm gonna take a nap and I'm gonna come right back so I come back get on that helicopter so it's like maybe seven hours later I'm on the neck and like I'm like well and I land there so it's maybe what eight or nine o'clock in the morning like hey when's this flight that's taking me to 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 I went into Kuwait. When the flight takes to Kuwait, they're like midnight. Yeah, it's like forever. I'm like, like okay, well, I got like forever now, so I might as well run over and check on the internet and see if I can call because remember I know like you had to go to a place. Yeah. So I'm like, go and check it, and there's already like information on Facebook from her mom. Like, oh, Addison, wait, was this? And I was like, you didn't make it like one day, let alone four days. But so. So I get back. She already had her, um, but I did get to spend those fifteen days. But then I had to go back to Afghanistan. Yeah, you get fifteen days that she'll probably likely not remember. You know. I mean, it was good that I was there because she was definitely she had C sections. She definitely needed some help. Yeah. Um, Addison had to go back in. She like got jaundice and a bunch of stuff too. So, yeah, it, it was good to have been there, and it was good to have had more than the ten days I would have gotten if we were in garrison. But. Um, it still never feels like enough. Yeah, I think that there's like we need to do a podcast on like fatherhood. Yeah, that's awesome. Because like, I mean, we went down this education rabbit hole towards being being dads. No, no, it's fine because these are these are still policies, right? They're still policies. It's true, it is. Yeah, and um, it might not be national, federal level. We're talking about social contracts too, right? Just yeah, how we deal with each other and. You talked about being absentee fathers and like my dad was never there. And how long have we standardized this idea in our society that that's okay? Right. Yep. And whether you are like maybe my mom and dad didn't get along, that doesn't make it okay for him to have not been there for me. Yeah, that's totally true. Like I, I think for me, uh, people that are absentee fathers um, for no reason. There are some reasons why you would be an absentee father, absentee father, like if you went to jail or some shit like that. Like I get that, like it's very difficult to fucking. Well, and, your and how much jail. standardized that too, right? Yeah, that's another whole other thing. I'm not gonna get into that. If it, somebody's blacklisting on this, you get it. Just saying. Well, we're gonna get there when we get to the worst president, weren't we? I thought you were talking about that. What's up? I thought we were gonna get there when we talk about your worst president. Oh yeah, it's just. It's just amazing to me, like how much that our society doesn't focus on the issues of men and fathers, especially, 
and then just like shit talk us like on uh, consistently but also at the same time like one of the main reasons why like well me and you are like on really good even though we never met in real life not yet anyway is that to me you're you're a great dad and i can't deal with people that are not good dads like that's like the immediately i'll cut you off if if, if you have a kid and you're a piece of shit dad like you're a piece of shit mom yeah. we're, we're fucking done like i can't deal with you like at all and I just that's what it made me realize that kind of is the definition, right? You're like, to you, you said that I'm I'm a good dad. I said I try, but like that's the definition, right? Just yeah, we all try. None of us know what we're doing. Ever. No, no. <laughs> but if you're there, you're trying, and I'm outside and I'm breaking stuff because we're trying to make this potato gun make rockets launch. Like I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm making stuff up as we go. Yeah, I do the same thing. I think most dads do that. I think there's yeah. some some dads that are just like. They don't put in the effort, and, and yeah. for whatever reason, and the ones that don't put in the effort because they don't. Um, if you're a quote unquote free person in America, and you're not there for your kids, then you're you're a piece of shit, in my mind, and you need to put in the effort to, to be there for your kids. And I have a a, a difficult relationship with my oldest daughter. Um, it's not terrible, but it definitely needs some working on. And I'm working on it. Like I'm trying to like work through it. Um, it, it it's it's difficult to work through uh, when your kids become adults. And I think that you're going through that now, Papa Bear. Like you have a kid that's in college, and it's a little it's a little yeah. different. Like the relationship gets a little different because it's like I don't want to tell you what to do, but I'm gonna give you suggestions. But if you fuck up, like it's like I don't want to really deal with you not understanding like the suggestions, like. If you want me to like tell you what to do, then it's it, then it's different. You know what I mean? Like yeah. then I'm we're no longer you're you're a kid again. I, I want to treat you like an adult because you're supposed to be an adult. You know, so I'll give you some leeway, but at the same time, like if you fuck up, there's consequences. And it's it's little <laughs> stuff. It's always little stuff. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's like come in this morning and you can tell that some plastic tub of green beans was heated up and eaten. At some weird random hour last night, but then just left to, the next <laughs> to be cleaned up by someone else. Like, yeah. how hard would that have been to rinse that out and put it in the dishwasher? Yeah. Like, that's an adult move, right? Just don't leave a mess for yourself later to clean up. Just pick up little things as you go. That's an adult move. Like, learn that one, bro. Come on. Yeah. And it's, I get it. It's hard to learn. I mean, we've all been that age. You know what the yeah. fuck's going on, but you think you do, but you don't. <laughs> this is, again, keep sidebar. So laundry has been one, right? Laundry. Oh Jesus! Same thing. For, so I've done two things. I've started doing two things. When laundry comes out of the dryer, which is the laundry rooms in like attached to the hallway, he has to walk past the laundry room from his room to the rest of the house. The baskets go in the hallway. Like you have to walk past the laundry. I know you see that laundry that needs to be folded every day when you come out. You don't fold any of it. It's not that hard. Yeah, yeah. So now it's like I'll fold the rest of it and just leave your stuff in those baskets in the hallway. <laughs> you can fold your own clothes. At least at a minimum, you would be expected to do that on your own in a normal room. Wait, does he wash his own clothes? Because it's just one sorting, <laughs> one sorting bin. Like I don't, and I don't have time to wait for what day he wants them to just. That's too much of an inconvenience for me, and I'm not going to do that. But then it's not hard for me to fold around his clothes and say you can fold the rest of that. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. 
I get that. Yeah, I'm not going to inconvenience myself for that lesson. lesson. He'll get, get enough of it when he does his own laundry at the dorm room, but <laughs> I can definitely make you fold around at least if you're not going to help fold the rest of it. Nice. He does. Like, he has his moments, his flashes, like his, his uh, flashes of inspiration, whatever you want to call it. But it's not consistent. It's frustrating. It take, I mean, it takes time to learn. Yeah. You know, so that's why you know you have to give them leeway to fuck up, and then to pull them back every now and again. They might they might get mad about it, but it's like, hey, listen, this is the way shit's gonna be. Like, if you're living on your own and you don't do your laundry, you can have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have no clean clothes, or you stink. Yeah, and you're gonna be the stinky person at work, you know, or or at school or wherever, you know. So, yeah, like I I, I totally get it. All right. Let's go on to the next one, which I didn't know he did this. Uh, well, I didn't know he passed this or his you know, administration passed this. Is Medicare and Medicaid. That started in uh, 1965. And he signed that into law or, into, you know, whatever. And, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that he started that whole thing. That's like probably the, one of the most socialist things, if you want to say socialism. It's one of the most socialist things in America, even though it's, I don't really consider it socialist. But so, so I'm, I'm trying to remember something about this. So this is the period where the Democrats changed, right? Democrats changed from being Southern Democrats specifically or uh, Northern Democrats to finally actually kind of becoming unified on this front, yes. this social so. reform front, right? Because uh, he was a Southern Democrat and was different than the other Southern Democrats. Again, they were these two kind of factions within the Democratic Party at the time. And definitely he pulled the Southern Democrats into this group, realizing, and I think through convincing them, like this is better for our party in order to be uh, more relevant and more capable. You know, he's convincing these people who have been resisting this stuff for all these years. Um, but he did do, according to this, right, this is what's his, the words he used on it, that went in hand in hand as he was passing the healthcare reform stuff was also a war on poverty. Yeah. But yeah. you know how I feel about saying a war on something. War on anything. War. It's stupid. I, I get that. But <laughs> like, don't use that word. Yeah. Cause I don't, people, war yeah. war. I talk about it all the time too. It's like the war on whatever. It's like, it's not, not a war. Like, please stop it. I'm with you on no. that. But, but I mean, I mean, honestly, yeah. if it was considered a war, they, well, he did a lot of effective things. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. A lot of things that were that were durable and have not been reversed. And when somebody talks about, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't want universal health care. But it's like, well, you already have Medicare and Medicaid. Like, why don't we just expand that and and have some actual power into what yeah. these uh, insurance companies are charging you for your insurance because I mean I have you know quote unquote Cadillac plans for my insurances and they're fucking expensive and I still have like high deductibles and you know I still I still get gigantic bills I still have to like um, fight for things that are covered and it's ridiculous like why am I doing these things I would much rather people use my tax dollars to make it universal and then to not to deal with the fucking bullshit anymore where like I'm paying thousands of dollars a year where I still have to fight for what I already paid for. It's ridiculous. So, he started Head Start as a part of this war on poverty. 
Nice. So he, along with those other education things, did start a program at the national level that gets ahead of kindergarten. Um, so yeah, the whole Head Start program was started by him too. Like that was on my list. I was like, yeah. talking about, I was like, wow, Children's Television Workshop. Yeah. He, All uh, part of the same program. I'm like, good God, man. <laughs> how effective was this dude? One dude. And we're not at the end of the list yet. I'm just saying. No. One the, guy. This article, this article I'm looking at, talking about starting, um, starting the Head Start stuff. Lady Bird, Lady Bird Johnson is in a Head Start class in 1966. So within a year, not only like past legislation to say a thing needs to happen, one fucking year later, that shit's already actually happening. Like kids are in yeah. classrooms. Like yeah. we pass a law and then don't see actual effects for five, six years. Yeah, I mean, the Affordable Health Care Act was sort of effective but they already obviously they've been trying to repeal it for a long time they repealed sort of part of it but all the things that we've said have been durable you know either amendments or you know other sorts of legislature that are still around to today and most presidencies if they get one thing that's good anyway one thing passed they're considered successful successful yep that's crazy Sorry. So that, that I thought that was insane. I was like, man, Head Start. He did start a, a an early education program yeah, too. Yeah, and it's something that uh, kids should be taught, should be educated early. Like what they should be taught. That's a different conversation. But um, it, it's you need to have kids be able to uh, get into a, a school early on. It helps both the child and the parents because the parents can then go back to work and keep producing. <laughs> so and helps the kid. Uh, learn basic skills earlier on in their life and actually get the beyond learning skills as far as like like normal like skills like working and shit like that and you know mathematics and educate and english and all other other things but also like social skills like having your actual child learn how to get along with other children super important can i can i again just like gush about this freaking wizard so how do, how do you think he got Medicare like and that stuff passed? So he got freaking Truman. Like, he got Truman oh, involved. Nice. He was like, get former President Truman. Hey, let's get these people, these big names. Let's get people campaigning for us for it. And then suddenly stuff starts happening. It's like, God. He just, he's like, let me get some other people to help talk about this too. Guy is a genius. That's pretty dope. Yeah, he was the dude. He was the dude. And like most people, most people, if you talk about him on the street, he said, hey, do you know who Linda B. Johnson was? No idea. No, no idea. <laughs> all right uh yeah. also in 1965 because he keeps the ball rolling uh the voter rights act becomes law so it's where people have equal access to voting so that's when that actually becomes the law so i think in i said previously in there was an act the 24th amendment happened in 1964 the year prior abolishing mm-hmm. poll taxes but then he also did the voting act that gave equal access to voting to everybody yep. so and that's having a voice in your own nation is extremely important hey, i mean i'm not worried about that yeah yeah <laughs> uh, hopefully i was gonna say there's probably not much to say about that but something else other did. than other than right not necessarily on every single topic we don't need us all trying to chime in to decide how to you know, do the basic things that um, don't, and it shouldn't be only based on that. 
right? Because we talk about it. it's a balancing thing. And we both said a couple of times, like, I don't necessarily trust everybody to make these decisions for us. Um, so it's good to have that, have a voice. Um, it's definitely not something that's okay to say um, these people don't get a say at all. Um, oh, shoot. I kind of got to take that back, don't I? Because I also have the whole resident citizen concept. Oh, yeah. Well, it also comes to like, so the resident citizen concept and also like the educated um, electorate, or elected yeah. person. Yeah. I think that's that's hand in hand. So if, if you want to have like the citizenry um, to separate them out between like citizen and resident, then you also really need to have who can be actually elected as an official. Yeah. Agreed. And it has to be from that. And I think that the, it's not about, the problem is, is that could, I could see that limiting it, right? We talk about needing to have free access to the ability to participate in your, your government. And I'm not saying anybody couldn't get into one of those positions and do their two years of, you know, service to their society and their community. But like, we know how systems work, right? Best of intentions. We build this thing and then Suddenly, uh, oh yeah, there, none of these organizations seem to be hiring very many uh, people of color. Like, yeah, here we are again, and like we're we're keeping them from being able to vote by just not letting them get these jobs that allow them to then become citizens, and just suddenly, you know, the system gets corrupted in that way. Um, I see that happening, uh, unless you, you know. No, I mean it's it's amazing. It. It's amazingly easily easy to do, especially in America, where like you don't understand like that you have. Uh, a a bias that you don't really seem to see like in yourself you know it's just like you just used to seeing you, you used to certain people that look a certain way you have an expectation of them to have a certain education level or a certain you know comprehension or whatever and if that's your what you're going into for everything you know you might not get it but it's there so yeah so i guess in general Yes, people should have a, a voice and a vote. Um, but I also think, like, within the government structure, that that has to be balanced out is really where I was trying to go with that. How we get to the house and citizen versus um, resident things. We've talked about it before, so maybe more detail there. But, um, yeah, I do think that it's important, but I think that there has to be a balance. And, and not having it be like you're just kept out, right? <laughs> but. Yeah. How, how once everybody's brought in, how we manage that discussion it has to be something that's talked about. Yeah, sorry. There's a whole other podcast that we had about this, about the citizens yeah, versus resident thing. So if y'all are interested in what, what we're back. talking about, there's just go back on the first season. Uh, I forget what the actual name of the podcast, but it, it, there's one about where we talk about citizens versus residents. I think it's like... I think the, we call it Starship Trooper Theory or something. Something like that, yeah, because it's just like Starship Troopers. So, yeah. yeah. Um... And the last one on my list, it's the 25th Amendment. And it's, uh, it was in 1967. And it's, uh, it had new laws on the succession on the death or incapacitation of the president, which came up actually last year. It brought up a whole bunch of times last year. It was discussed, for yeah. sure. So when uh, President Trump, then President Trump, uh, came down with COVID, People are like, we need to enact the 25th Amendment. And actually, even before, and even after, he was okay with COVID. People were still saying 25th Amendment because they thought him as being incompetent, which I believe. 
And if he was too sick to serve his term as president, then the 25th Amendment could have been enacted to make... Uh... God damn it. I see his face. The guy who doesn't like mutants. <laughs> who was the vice president last year? Oh, uh... Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm... Yeah, I, I try to expunge like all that shit out of my mind. I'm trying to blame right now. I can't yeah, think of his name. Are you looking it up already? No. Yeah. I'm not getting ahead of you. Go ahead and look it up and I'll, I'll just keep bullshitting. But anyway, uh, Mike Pence. There we go. Mike Pence was the guy. I said the anti-mutant guy, but I'm just saying, go watch the old... Uh, <laughs> the 1990s X-Men shows, or even the comics, when they went to Genosha. He looks like a guy that would put mutants in Genosha. I'm just saying. Didn't that character have like, thick like BC-type glasses? I think he did, but he yeah. still seems like that guy. Um, but yeah. It, it, people were trying to get Mike Pence as if it would be any any better than, you know, President Trump. Um, right. But yeah, they're just trying to get him out of the out of office as soon as possible. But yeah, this is where it came from. This is what it was: is if he's in, incapacitated, or unable, or died, or unable to, you know, carry on his presidency, then we had an amendment to pass it on to somebody else, the vice president or somebody else. And I think so. I mean, it's kind of obvious um, if we look at the history for him, uh, why this became a topic. Like, I'm sure they were talking about it, right? Hey, Kennedy just died. It's pretty clear that's straightforward, like vice president's in charge. That, that stuff was outlined there. So someone had to have been like, well, what about this? What if this? What if it was this instead? And so I was like, maybe we need to clarify this thing because it's not clear in those situations. Like, what if Johnson, what if, in that case, like, what if Johnson had died? Because prior to that amendment, yeah. They didn't know. They didn't know what would happen next. Like, what's the next in line for succession for the presidency? And they, they had no idea at that point. Doesn't uh, it, hold on, real quick. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it go to the Speaker of the House? Yeah. If, yeah. Which is weird because the Senate is above the House. supposed to be, right? Yeah, but so the only standalone person or, like, who is anything, like, stand on, stand, like, Singular or standalone in the Senate is the president pro president. Okay. Yeah. Which is the vice president. Yeah. So you've already lost that person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got you. So you go then to who's the next like kind of like front person because each body has that front person. Um, so yeah. So then it's the Speaker of the House because they they do generally get more publicity than anybody else in the Senate alone, um, but just barely. And then it goes back to the Senate after that. Like it would be then someone in the Senate. Interesting. So yeah, that's uh, if y'all didn't know about government, we went through a lot of government shit on this one. Uh, this is another educational one. Uh, they all should be, right? All the ones that we do, we try to educate people. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have one last one for Johnson. Go ahead. Space, man. Space. So while, while Kennedy like set the goal, right? He died before he got to do any of it. It had to be Johnson that actually brought it all and pushed it all through and made it actually happen so that what just happened? Uh, so. we ended up landing on the moon, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, best president ever. Even though, yeah, pretty, even the Vietnam stuff, still the best president. <laughs> pretty clear cut. Pretty clear cut. Um, if you look at like actually making positive change and a lot of it that sticks, right? Positive change that is still in effect. So. All right. Pretty amazing. So we're going to go to the worst now? 
We can, yeah. Um, so let me see. The, the show I was talking about before is called The Expanse. Yes, um, The Expanse is a great show. I actually had uh, one of the actors on my other podcast. Yeah, and I knew you knew it, and I knew I knew it. I just could not think of the name. But yeah, obviously in it, right, the UN has been like, has become the the organizational body for the planet yeah, uh, because saying. now there is planet based conflicts between us and them so they're able to do that right yeah. it's only then when you can finally unify yeah and they're great books too so if y'all have not read the books they're, they're great i think it's by james i want to say james comey but that sounds like the guy i'm pretty sure it's james comey. I, didn't they, I didn't even know they were books oh yeah so they're, they're the show. that's yeah, awesome they're great no, books. yeah <laughs> so check them out there on audible as well um a great book series uh so yeah on to the worst. Who would you consider the worst in your opinion? Uh, okay, so... This is a harder one. It is, because there's there's lots of opportunity for saying uh, the worst. And I, I had this tendency to lean towards, like, completely ineffectual. Or, like, it, almost like we said, if you ask the average person uh, who, like, Lyndon Johnson was, <laughs> they have, have no idea. Yeah. And so to me, like, that generally tends towards probably didn't do anything um but then it, he's i don't know how he did that right how did he get all of this stuff done how did he replace a president that was assassinated everybody knows her name get all of these things done and then no one knows who that person is yeah what's then, also what's also weird is that so jfk everybody knows and loves that dude right but he wasn't a president for that long before he got no. assassinated right Lyndon B. Johnson got done way more stuff than JFK ever did and probably was ever actually going to do. And this is also, I'll give the caveat, yes, the Vietnam, because someone's going to get angry every time I say it, but the Vietnam shit was terrible. I'm with you there. Well, I'm totally with you there. But as far as like what he got done to the American citizens' lives, generally greatly improved America. So... So it's it's a tie for me, like on both sides of Lincoln, right? So it's it's freaking Buchanan leading into what Lincoln had to deal with, but then also after Lincoln dies, then Andrew Johnson does a really terrible job with like setting the country back up, right, um, and trying to finish off the war and like reestablish the country as a whole, because um, that took far too long it was kind of a piecemeal half-hearted effort because what what they really wanted to do because the north one was you know completely control the south but that's not really going to be possible um and then doing the doing the sort of the sort of what the british were doing when we were colonies where it's like well we're just gonna put a northerner in charge of these little areas like well it didn't work the first time (laughs) Why do you think that was going to work if we did that again? Like, we had to work to to fix the problems that we had in place, but also to kind of, like, heal the wounds that were there. But a lot of effort to, like, just do it the way we're telling you to do it was done, but very little done to try to, like, bring those states back into the fold for a long time. It took really two presidencies, but I'll put it on him because he kind of started the ball rolling. Um, so it's hard for me to, to kind of pick either side because also all of the efforts of freaking uh of buchanan like leading towards it fi- firing it up even worse 
not really addressing things that could have maybe, uh, I won't say prevented it. I would say like maybe delayed it. I think that it was kind of coming, you know? Yeah, I'm totally with you with uh, with James Buchanan. I think one of the main things that he did was like, that was messed up, is that he just kind of playing both sides and he said that the South was justified in having slaves because it was in the Constitution. Right. Because it was mentioned. Just because it was in there. Not that it said it was okay, but just mentioned. Yeah, it's, uh, that was obviously disastrous because right after that we had the Civil War. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. It was the rise of the Confederacy. It was the uh, additional rise of the, uh, of the Confederacy was because of him. So, yeah. And, and he, then, had, he continued to play throughout his entire presidency to the, well, let's just keep the number of states balanced, right? So, like, oh, well, uh, this state's coming into the Union. We have, okay, so the, well, we'll make this one two. We'll do these two, and then this part is slave, and this part is free. That's not a good solution, dude. No, yeah. It, it's just going to keep keep building up the base on both sides who are and, and in a couple of cases too I'm trying to think if it's Kansas or uh, I was looking at I can't remember if it was Kansas or if it was um, oh gosh I can't think of it anyways where they like were it was a new state coming in the balance was a certain way so they made it this one and they were like we did like, they had their own constitution, right? That's the only way they become a state. Like, we didn't ask for that. Like, we didn't we didn't ask to be slaves or we were, like, set up to be free. Like, one way or the other, they were like, that's not the, the side we were going towards. <laughs> We'd like to be the other side of this, this, this discussion. Either way, I was like, well, but that's the balance we need right now. Like, that's not... That's not you just pissed off the whole state for a whole different reason. I think it was Kansas. I'm trying to find a more specific answer to this. All right. So people that are listening to the podcast are like, why aren't you saying President Trump? Well, uh, honestly, like the James Buchanan, things that we just said that Trump did, they're echoes of James Buchanan. But history will tell us um, whether or not he was going to be one of the worst. Because, yeah, he did a lot of terrible things. But James Buchanan at the time, he did things that he thought was right. And the consequences weren't felt until years later. Right? Yeah. So, and the The same thing... Go ahead. Oh, so yeah, all the negative effects were were known to be bad. Like you're like, this is not the best thing. People were talking about it. It was in all the newspapers, but like you didn't, it didn't like really culminate until the next presidency. Yeah, and that's it, immediately, but and we didn't see that, so there was at least that. Well, that, but, that's kind of like where we are right now is like the question mark of yeah, literally, uh, Trump did some of the same rhetoric as James Buchanan like like he literally had an insurgency and and he was just like didn't help he said that there were good good people you know he's, he's letting this whole racist uh weird group of Americans be platformed and then not tell them that they're bad tell them that they're good that they're good people and this could have serious consequences in the future of America so we will see if he gets, if he either gets the James Buchanan level or eclipses it, that could happen because we're still seeing um, a rise in violence against like minorities in America by groups that think that um, you know America only belongs to them and nobody else, no foreigners, 
Um, you know, like look at the rise of violence between uh, Asian Americans, and then now we're getting the whole Jewish Jewish Americans getting hate too, and we're still seeing you know, horrible amounts of police brutality against African Americans and people of color. And it's just like he didn't help any of that. You know, he actually made it worse. So yeah. we will see. That the only reason why I didn't say he wasn't the worst is because it, it's too soon. And I can't say that, you know, this person that was a terrible president in my recent memory, right, as far as I've been alive, um, is going to be the worst president ever. Like, that, that seems to me, like, incredibly um, has, like, really no forethought in, like, not looking at historical events in America. So I'm not going to say Trump at all, even though I think he's a terrible person and likely a terrible – to me, he was a terrible president. But there was ones that had overarching – problems that led into a war in america so yeah and i think it, it would be an easy target that seems like it would be something people would talk about but it's also kind of pro-sided like you said like not even considering the entire hundreds of years of the history to say that someone else maybe did worse when we did have a civil war like that's that's pretty bad pretty obvious that we could look back and say this did happen and i think that's kind of your key point was like not saying that's not going to be what happened is just that we haven't seen it yet and can't guarantee. So what's, what's funny is I'm, I'm reading a couple of things so I can make one or two more points about Buchanan specifically is that um, it was it was because it was basically a lame duck presidency, right? That was the thing. It was like got in there but had no ability to get anything done and just basically pissed off both sides more. And that the, there wasn't a whole lot that really got done, right, in, in the comparison we were just making, like, could really probably call that a lame duck presidency that just passed. There wasn't really much that actually got done. Um, and definitely worked to piss off both sides. Real quick, because we try to make this podcast accessible to everybody. Explain what a, a lame duck, because usually you hear lame duck like uh, Congress or whatever, or even presidency, because usually, well, just explain it, because I know what it is. So the, it specifically is usually just referred to as the period after the election when that president already knows that they did not get reelected. And so then they're just sitting in the seat waiting to be replaced. Um, and, and there are some cases where there, there's at least three or four that I could probably look back and see and say that basically the whole presidency was that way because they had the presidency, but then had no ability to get anything else done because they neither had the House or the Senate, didn't have enough people in the Supreme Court, had nobody fighting on their side. Their own party was kind of weak. So they had no ability really to influence or get anything done. So they're kind of just stuck sitting there as a figurehead and trying to, like, hey, this is important. Like, yeah, we're not listening to you. You know, so it, it kind of turned the whole presidency that way. Um, and then your example towards, was that good? Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so then your example towards there being uh, insurrection. Yes. Right, during that, this last one. Like, like Fort Sumter, Sumter was still during his term, technically. Uh, didn't really send a strong response, but then sent a response. So it's like, you didn't really help defend Fort, but then you sent enough troops to, like, well, why did you send people? <laughs> like, you still pissed off the Southerners, and then you didn't defend the Fort. This <laughs> sounds real familiar. <laughs> so that's, that's, how, that's how Buchanan is, is definitely there. Oh, and then, and then, you know, that he died of a cold. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In 1868. Well, he just got sick. 
that I mean, <laughs> so weak. <laughs> He's that cool. That's how bad your presidency was, too. That's terrible. I did not know this, but apparently several of his biographers have suggested that he was celibate, homosexual, or asexual, like, just never really, they could never pin it down. Like, didn't have a partner, but it was never really, like, obvious about what was going on, to the point where every biographer has written something different. I was like, that's an interesting, kind of weird side note. All right. And this will be uh, an interesting one as, like, one of the worst presidents ever. Only because he had no chance to be effective as being a president. It's kind of funny. Sorry. But William Henry Harrison yeah. had the longest inauguration speech, and he died 30 days later. He was the shortest presidency ever. So, yeah. He's the, he'd be one of the worst only because he literally had no chance to do anything. So, so he was a... Uh... He was in the military. I was trying to see. He. Oh, fine. He found the battle to pick new. Anyways, yeah, so yeah, just kind of a weird. Like, obviously, you can't. That'd be, like, if, if you were going to go on straight, like, not able to get anything done. You got nothing done. Because you just didn't have time. <laughs> you so, had 30 days. <laughs> huh? I said you had 30 days. <laughs> yeah, how come you didn't get anything done? What's wrong with you? Could have at least written executive orders. Come on, no, they didn't do that right now. God damn, I can't. This executive order thing is just like, come on, man. Yeah, but it's also so, it, 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 the the executive orders comes down to the filibuster, and I think that's that's a whole different conversation. Like, it needs to be a podcast. Yeah, um, it would be fun to like. I don't know, just try to do it as a filibuster, but that doesn't make sense. Because then it would mean instead of being balanced, one of us would just talk the whole time and not let the other one talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would make people understand. We can make it like yeah. a, a 16-hour podcast or a 24-hour podcast because people do that shit sometimes. Yep. They will just stay up there and keep talking. Yeah. Or at least between the two of us, we could keep it going. Just, oh, I, I yield my time to the, the... <laughs> And then you get up and keep talking. It's like, ugh. I've always wanted to say, even though it's not in a filibuster, but like reclaiming my time. I think that's one of the best terms used in all yeah. of Congress. It's, it's, it's mainly the, the House, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the congressional STFU. Yeah, fuck, I, I love that shit. Shut up, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you said wasn't what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so I'm taking my time yeah. back. You, did you forget what we talked about? You're supposed to see this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... His replacement was John Tyler, and he was an independent, which is like the only one. Wow. Uh, he was he was initially a Democrat, but because he went against Andrew Jackson, they they basically kicked him out. And he's like, but I still got this name everybody knows, so yeah. he ran anyways. Name recognition is a is a huge deal. I mean, yeah. honestly, we need to get rid of the two party system. Like, uh, the the two parties that we have right now are not in the best interest of Americans of, of most Americans anyway. And I don't think that Joe Biden's doing a terrible job, but I still think he's serving um, the party more than the people. Yeah, and I mean, it's still early um, in his presidency, but I also, again, maybe not as plugged in as I possibly could be, but I haven't heard a whole lot actually yet. Well, I mean, the the rollout of the, even then it's controversial, 
the way that he's handling COVID has been much better than the last president. Like that's easy, but the last president didn't do a, a great job with with COVID. Um, but even that, even saying that, like I think that it could have been way better. Like the way that we're dealing with, like there was still no national strategy with COVID. They to, gave to start cl- like shutting down the the restriction stuff. There's no like concrete plan towards getting there. Yeah, and yeah, people argue, well, oh, you know, every region's different. Okay, well then have an actual mandate that says like once you get under X percent of people infected, or people in the hospital, or people are dying, then you can roll back your shit. Not just like give like a guideline and then like, but you could ignore this if you're Texas or you know whatever other state or Florida or whatever. It's just it seems to me like it's so stupid that they can do that, and then. Uh, yeah, just like the, the the lack of getting the vaccines out there, and then like the fact that we're hesitant to to share with other countries. And I understand that there's other, there was like damage that was done by the last president, but like for people to be hesitant about the vaccines and even COVID in general. But you need, they they should have been more on the forefront of like really talking about how it's safe, you know, these are the guidelines and explaining on how science changes. Cause I think most Americans are kind of fucking dumb when it comes to science. And they understand that once you get new information, you should probably change your idea. Like if you're seeing that, Hey, these numbers are changing for the better or for the worst, then you change your recommendations. But the fact that they were, for most Americans, they were just changing recommendations willy nilly. I understood what they were, but I had to like do research and like seeing like, hey, why are they making recommendations? They needed to be at the forefront of that that comment, like, hey, we can change for this because this and this. I, I had a I had to have like a little bit of a quick conversation with somebody today, and I I spun it out probably in too fast of a fashion the way I can do things sometimes. And they're like, oh, so you're really passionate about it? I was like, no, I just read about it. I don't really actually really care if you care or don't care, but I just wanted to make sure you knew the information that you could find anywhere. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to get that out before we cover the stuff I actually wanted to talk to you about. Cause they were like, well, I don't want to get the vaccine cause they need to have all the testing done. I was like, it did have all the testing done. Yeah. It just sped up all the administrative processes. They cut all the red tape, all the bureaucracy that normally goes along with drug testing. They told them you can start step one and step three and step seven at the same time because they don't interfere with each other. Just go ahead and start them rather than us making you do them sequentially one, two, three, like we would do with a normal drug test. This is important. Start this thing at the same time. So yeah, it's been up the timeline. That didn't mean they didn't do any of the testing that they weren't supposed to do. Moving on. And he's like, dang. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it, it's well, not hard. It, what's, it, it's what's still that, got tested. Yes. And what's crazy to me, so everybody, pretty much everybody already has, they're already vac- vaccinated with like whatever. Nobody in their entire fucking life actually looked up how long it took the vaccine to get tested on anybody. They didn't give a fuck. They're just like, when you're a baby... You get vaccinated and you're fine. Um, and then when it comes to like this new COVID thing, oh god damn it, I had a really good point to make and I just fucking had a brain fart. But it's just yeah. no look okay with these vaccines. Okay, everybody's like, well, it's not tested. Look what happened to Johnson and Johnson. Okay, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine when a couple of people, I think it was like less than fifty people, women that that were on birth control, they had started getting blood clots. None of them died. And what what happened? They stopped the Johnson and Johnson vaccine immediately. Mm-hmm. So people are like so worried about like side effects like that. There was a side effect that literally killed nobody, mm-hmm. and was they stopped. Really. Yeah, 
they they saw that it was with women that had you know uh, birth control, and they were fine. So and more people. I mean, just to to give you the actual you know, like correlation, well, not even correlation. A better example: more people, more women get uh, blood clots from birth control than got blood clots from the Johnson Johnson vaccine while on birth control. So, so maybe it's actually helping. Yeah, you're. They're fine. So numbers would say that doesn't make it science. Yeah, it's it's just uh, crazy to me. Meanwhile, six hundred thousand people and um, six hundred thousand Americans have died from COVID, and people don't seem to give a fuck. Anyway, so weird segue. I'm just sorry. Um, I, I'm just tired of like apathetic Americans, and they're just they're getting on my last nerve at this point in my life. So well, and again, a big part of that might be that for a, probably a large portion of the population that I think uh, exists but doesn't know it, is they're not actually being represented, right? So they don't look at the government and see uh, an option that actually represents their beliefs and their concepts and what they want to do. And like you said, two parties doesn't do it. There needs to be more than more options. And if we had more options, then people might get more engaged in what's going on um, and be less apathetic because they actually see that they could be a part of you know, the conversation and what's going on because their representative actually represents the same concepts and beliefs and thoughts that they have. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that we do need access to, to better candidates that are more towards the center. You know, I, I just thought... Moderates be a thing. Say again? Moderates used to be a thing, like actually being a moderate. Like yeah, but... Who, well, now when you talk about moderates, as far as like political candidates go, they like shit on it. You know, like you can't be a centrist. You can't be like, why? Like, why can't you do that? Like, seriously, like, why, why don't you take a little bit from both sides and make a better society? Because right now, listen, if you're on the extreme right or the extreme left, both your societies, I don't want to be a part of. Neither one. Well, that sounds, that sounds yeah. Cool. So, yeah, we just need some. That's why you need to become president, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> And put me somewhere on your somewhere on your, uh, your your council somewhere where I'm getting just paid to do something. I don't care what it's it is. Like they do, just get paid to sit around talk. No, well, yeah, I, I could be a communicator. That's fine. I'm 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 cool with that. <laughs> I did have to um, talk about running for office in an email today because I am putting together my package to like apply for my doctorate, um, and. You know, I have to explain to, I have to get three, I have to get like three letters of recommendation from previous professors or whatever. And so they're like, oh, well, yeah, just explain to me like what the degree program is you're going for and what you think you're going to do with it afterwards. And I was like, well, I'm getting a degree in a doctorate in public administration and policy. And I'd like to, you know, once I retire, probably get involved in city councils or community involvement, basically to try to just make my society better. I'm like, yeah, that's basically the same. I'm going to probably run for office and try to do something, right? Yeah, be an effective, we'll be an effective uh, politician, yeah. you know, yeah. which is contradictory, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Lyndon B. Johnson did it. I was going to say, has <laughs> it really happened in like 60-something years? Let's see if we can do it again. <laughs> yeah, somebody can do it again. But I, somebody's got to do it. Why not you? Because <laughs> so. I'm, not, I'm not like six and a half feet tall and huge and can't like lean in on people and tell them, give them the, give them the Johnson treatment. You can give him the, the Johnson treatment. You know what that is? 
just punch him in the dick. It is so weird though how like most presidents are are tall because people yeah. uh, they trust people that are tall for some reason. This is a fact. It's it just is. odd to me. I'm like you're just tall. That's all it is to me. And so like because we do kind of go into foundational concepts for politics and governments and societies, right? My my political like politics one oh one, government one oh one class or whatever, the professor had this really, really cool way of getting everybody to understand really fundamental concepts for societies. We watched every episode of Lost <laughs> for, the first, for the first, like, the first, first six, oh, it must have been eight, eight episodes of the very first season, right? Which is establishing a society from scratch with no requirements to each other, no obligations, no rules, right? And who are the two people who pretty much are vying for power in it? The tall doctor and the tall, like, other guy, right? Yeah. So two two white guys that are tall. They're the same height, exactly the same height. And they're both the tallest two guys in the group. It's crazy to me. Like when I to me, everybody just turns. Sorry, everybody just turns and looks at them. Like, what do we do? And it never to, to me, it never registers like how tall somebody is. Um, it which, it's also weird though because most people that know me, um, they think that I'm taller than I actually am, but I'm not. Tall. I'm like literally average height. <laughs> and so. But nope, somebody that's taller than me, like they don't, I don't see them as like either intimidating or have additional um, leadership qualities. I'm just like, you're just taller than me. Like, you need to prove to me, what? like, you know, what you're doing. So, yeah. yeah. So, what are you saying is average height, though? Uh, five, eight, five, nine. Okay. That's average height. It's not. That's right. What's average height? You're taller than average. That's right. Oh, well, slightly. Yeah, very. <laughs> <laughs> five seven is i think national average right now but... is it really yeah well definitely really people in. yeah I, um, I, I definitely don't tower over people no, but, I, yeah. but i do stand up straight and i think that what's i think that's what gets people is yeah. that i stand up straight <laughs> people don't notice that i'm short because they come in with confidence yeah <laughs> wait how tall are you it's five seven five seven so, like, so average, average height, but... yeah. Yeah, we're probably around. So like, there's a there's a gunny in one of our sessions where he's he's damn tall and like he has no problem being like, hey, what do you need? like, you know, deferring to me for stuff. But it's also military, so I don't know if that works. He's we're we're all kind of trained to understand people's experience and rank and positions do have a purpose and a reason and a meaning. So oh, look at this guy. All right, so this guy is like downplaying. This is like it's perfect politi- politician right here. He's downplaying like his clout in the military this dude was in like articles recently and when i saw the arts there's like marine corps groups for it because obviously i'm in it and i was in the marine corps um and there was an article that came up and i looked at it and i was like that looks like papa bear and i was like oh i know this dude like it was a uh it was an article about you know doing it stuff and like how to properly run the military and like a lot of stuff that we talk about on the podcast and uh I was like, yeah, we did a podcast together. He's a great dude. And a bunch of other people were just like, yeah, this dude's dope. A bunch of people. Not just I, I, I did not even go look at that post. Yeah. <laughs> people uh, so love you, man. I am doing a second one already, too, with SEO. Are you really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're putting one together for all of Mixess also, like to kind of just showcase what Mixess does, I guess. We have to, and uh, Enrique and I will be editing that on Tuesday. <laughs> nice. Well, it's great because I think that most. So when I tell when I tell people that I'm I'm a marine, 
you know, even in like my, my normal, like corporate life, they're just like, really? You're, you're a Marine. I'm like, yeah. And they, they think uh, Marines are supposed to be stupid, but it's like, Hey, I got like the most education that I've gotten. And like outside of like me being an autodidact was through the Marine Corps. Like seriously, they had a really, they had really good programs on uh, learning like how to work with radios. And when I became a network, uh, um, network security guy, like working on a DSID, that just, you know, that was excellent. And then also working on, there's another equipment that I worked on too, but people don't know what the fuck it is, so it doesn't matter. But I learned all these skills through the Marine Corps that were very technical. And most people think that Marines are basically retarded. (laughs) I had had someone after that thing tell me that that McSess is the premier communications and electronics school in the DOD. I was like, I don't know where you're getting that from. Not for me. That's not what I said. I don't. I don't know who said that. I think we got a long way to go. I don't. But maybe we're better than others. But I. I don't know about that. I have not had a chance to evaluate every other school in the DOD, so I couldn't say that. Well, I think the thing is, is that when it comes to like marine communicators, is that we have the the drive of being a marine first of all. So like we're just willing to get shit done. Like you want to give us shitty equipment, which honestly we didn't really get on the comm side in the Marine Corps, except radio had shit equipment. But if you're on the IT side, like you had decent equipment. Like it was pretty close to like, it wasn't cutting edge, but it was way closer than like Vietnam era shit when I was in, you know? So I think people just, they don't seem to get that. It's like we had, you know, things that were comparable to the civilian world and skills that definitely translated over. And so when, that's why you don't have a lot of like Marine communicators in the Marine Corps anymore because we had skills or Marine IT people anyway yeah. in the Marine Corps because there's like, there's literally no reason for us to stay in because there's, there's no inse- monetary incentive. There's incentive to obviously um, protect your country. And I get that. But if yeah. you have kids, <laughs> you know, it's so it's a, it's a whole bunch of stuff to unpack there, but like, um, did you get the chance to like actually sit through the whole thing or just kind of read the notes? Sit through the whole what? Sorry, that whole video from Asia or no? I didn't. I actually, I just read the article. I didn't oh, okay. see the video. I just read the article, and so I saw the, there was like the, airmen and there was an army guy too. I think. Yeah, uh, no airmen. Just so there's there's it was all chief officers. Oh, okay. cool. Um, and there's two army chief officer fives. Which one of them was it? Was really at um, SOCOM, so he, he was more representing the soft community than the army community. Um, and then there was a navy chief officer also. Okay. So. Yeah. But like we did our our spiel sort of for a little while, and then did a live Q and A session. And one of the questions was about kind of that, like if we are if we are really doing a good job, say say we made everything perfect, and we're really training these people to have training these these military members to have really, really great technical skills that have marketable value in the civilian world because we make sure that they are trained to do the best that we possibly can, does it make sense to keep paying them exactly the same as everybody else of a rank in the entire DOD when we know that's going to affect retention and their capabilities also, right? Which I then took that question like, no, absolutely. And we already have a system for it, right? You already have flight pay, you have... Uh, you know, hazards pay. There's already these systems where you say, we're going to add this pay on for this thing that you do. And it's easy. You, you figure out what those skills are. And if, and if you're in a job that requires you to do that skill, because sometimes we go do other things, right? If I'm on recruiting duty, even if I have a certification, yeah, you're not getting your extra pay, bro, because you're getting special duty assignment, you're getting recruiter pay. 
yeah. not your skill pay. And, and when you come, come back, back uh, you better have kept your shirt up, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but like, just use that system, and, and you can – it's not going to close the gap. It's never going to close the gap. We're not going to ever give them that much money, right? But when the gap is smaller – then those untangibles, those intangibles that I'm being a Marine, I'm doing this thing as part of my country, cl- helps fill the gap the rest of the way for that person who's like on the fence, you know? And that'll help retention, help us keep a couple of those really smart IT guys in these fields so that we don't lose everybody who's got the skills and can just go out and get a job waiting 10 times as much as they will in the military. So yeah, that was kind of my my level end piece. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great. And the, the other part for me is um, honestly, the other the other side of like filling that gap is getting rid of contractors that that can do a job that a, that a marine could do. Like if you're telling me, so when I was in, I, I wasn't getting paid that much money when I was in, um, but it, 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 if I'm getting paid eight to ten times more to to do the same exact job as a contractor in the same spot, like why would mm-hmm. I like seriously like mm-hmm. stop doing that? Like well, and if we weren't hiring them. Then there wouldn't be the demand signal for it. Yeah, those jobs wouldn't exist. They need to be stop. And to get out, and yeah, yeah suddenly it all works its way back. There needs to be a serious conversation on the the usefulness of military contractors, because I think that the vast majority of them are worthless. Me being an actual military, con- well, former military contractor, there are jobs that military members can do that they should do, and they can get paid you know, at a decent wage to do so. Uh, I think that the, 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 mil- the DOD is wasting billions of dollars a year. Billions, if not trillions. Oh, no, just billions. Billions a year on military contracts. So we're going we're gonna to go comedy style here and like tie it right back to the beginning joke, right? Um, but it's the beginning comment or post we kind of talk or concept we talk about, which was like, if we talk about how much money we spend... In, for the military budget, there's parts of that that get broken down in Congress, and they talk about numbers. Then, like how many of a specific rank or a specific job, it's all broken down like number to number in Title Ten and stuff. And they'll say this is exactly how many people you can have. So if those two things don't line up or make sense, and we're saying we just need to cut numbers instead of saying we need to cut budget then we're not like really solving the problem that you just kind of mentioned, which is if we don't talk about that, we, you know, we might actually go to increase the numbers of military people, but drop the budget. If yes. we cut these contracting things, no one there saying that because they're just like, well, Hey, if we just reduce the numbers of people doing, doing these military jobs, we should be good. Then suddenly the end result becomes, well, we know still need people to do those things. We have to hire contractors to do it and it costs 10 times as much. Yeah, I mean, when I tell people, you know, I tell people a lot. I tell people a lot um, that we need to reduce the DOD budget. And they get so angry about it. I'm just like, there's so much waste there. I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not saying. I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing like you go on with a friend out to have coffee. And you're just like, we should reduce the DOD budget. Like, just stop talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> you get all mad. Because it's a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm not saying reduce the amount of military members in yeah. the military. We could likely up the number of military members in the military if we just actually work semi-frugal about where we spend our money in the military. And if we got rid of um, all the the vast majority of government contractors, I would say probably 95%. I don't think that that's unreasonable. 
seriously. And then also renegotiating every single DOD um, to private con to private um, corporation contract, like actually renegotiating it because they're ridiculous. Yeah, and it, because so I, I can see the number being ninety five percent easily it, because if it's a job that's seriously important and needs a civilian to do it, make it a civilian job. GS civilian job that stays there and it's one that we know about and it's one that we fill in and so one has a pay scale and you can keep track of them and know what's going on. The contracting stuff is so gray, so fuzzy area to most of the bigger organizations. It's just a pot of money. They have no idea what's actually going on with it. Yeah, like I said, there's people that are literally just washing clothes. That's contract. Why are you washing my clothes? Like, you don't need to wash my clothes. I can wash my own clothes. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And most of us were out there for two to three months at least without being able to wash clothes off. We're just gonna you just live with it. You deal with it. Yeah, yeah. When I was in the when I was in the field, like. Back before contractor became a big thing, yeah, just wash your own goddamn clothes. You know, you, you wear your uh, what do they call them? What are they, the you wear your silkies as underwear. And you take a shower with them shits on. They get clean too, and then you clean your camis, and you're good to go. You know, pull out your your fresh ones, and you know you make it work. But I don't need to take my stuff to some person to wash my like it's. How we become this weak that we can't wash our own clothes? <laughs> it's it was the big it's the big base mentality thing from those those two big conflicts in in deserts where you know everything yeah it's it's weird it's weird for sure yeah, you need to stop anyway so does this podcast I guess um, well the podcast should stop it we we already went off topic of the the best and the worst we agreed on the best and we agree on the first the worst really yeah because I think. Um, I kind of tend more towards afterwards because I think we were getting there. Like, I don't think that um, Buchanan could have done anything about it. I think he just didn't make it any better for sure. Yeah. And the best scenario he could have possibly done was extended how much longer it would have taken. That's, that's the best, best scenario. So then trying to do reconstruction afterwards was also totally bungled. And I think it's probably a bigger mistake because you just had a war. And you brought it all back together. There's a big moment and opportunity there to like make that like actually work for you. Yeah. And taking a disaster, right, and turning it into a positive forward movement for society. And then he totally fucked that up. So, to me, that's a bigger offense to me, like historically looking back. Like, when you look at kind of like that slow march towards the Civil War, you're like, that's what's happening. You, you can see it coming like, for decades. So, like, this is going to happen. And so, he was just the last one before it really did, you know, and didn't help. It was the political hot potato. Yeah. <laughs> He's the last guy. And, and obviously, like, he just was like, oh, here you go. Ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't do anything with it. Um, but, yeah, I just, I see, I see that offense, the not, not taking advantage of that opportunity to actually push us towards a greater, like, Unification, even though it's like what the whole goal was, uh, that to me is more more of a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Yep. I think we are wrapping it up. Yeah, no, I mean this is a, this is a great conversation. I uh, I thank Dirty Stew and all of our international listeners. If you wanted to learn more about presidencies and like the way our government works, this is this is a good podcast to like break it down to like for the the common person. 
<laughs> you know? I try to, you know, try to try to keep it plain language. Yeah. I, I was thinking just a minute ago, though, like, as I said, like, we're wrapping it up. I was like, we really do kind of need a, a standard way to wrap up because we don't really. No, we don't. But we're uh, we got a way to start. We got a way to start. We're kind of like need to figure out this ending. We do. Thing. And we also need to figure out how to get on iTunes because I've had a serious issue with getting on iTunes, even still. <laughs> still, to get, this day. still getting us? Yeah, they're it. still just like being dicks. So I think actually I think it's the problem on, on SoundCloud side, but I'm, I'm going to try again on Sunday because uh, I'm not I'm we're actually not passing validation through like third parties, and I don't know why it just spins. Okay. So, I, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can sort it out. Um, be I'll be available, but not like here. I'll be out of pocket. Like we're going to um, Port Port Huynhemi, which is like on the northeastern side of LA. The RV, it's like second practice, and then nice. then we drive cross country. Nice. And you're going to Florida, right? Yeah, we're going to Disneyland, yeah. right? Disney yeah. World. Not this weekend. Starting next weekend, we make the drive all the way to Disney World. We're going to stop and visit um, Cindy's family. So. so we're going to miss a week? Well, they won't know. Listeners won't know. We'll get yeah. it done. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll still be available on Thursdays. Okay. It'll just be a different background. Oh, yeah. I won't have this cool setup. Honestly, why? My face would be much pastier because there's a lot of yellow on me right now to make me look tanner. <laughs> this guy. Actually, do I do it? I, actually, I do it too sometimes because I'm light-skinned because I don't get enough sunlight. <laughs> Lately, I have. Like, I was out. I was getting... It was hot outside. <laughs> it gets hot here. You know that. Yeah, yeah. What was the temperature today where you're at? 104. Jesus Christ, already? Yeah, there's been a few actually. Maybe today was not that, and that was yesterday. I can't remember. One of those days this week was the first day since winter. It went over 100. I was like, "Yep, oh, there's 104. Lovely." Trying to see. I think uh, it was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was in the 60s today, for me. Maybe 70s. So. Tomorrow's high is 88, 91 on Sunday. Yeah. And that's yucca. Yucca's cooler than Twin Palms. Yeah, fuck uh, Twin Palms. I. Place is terrible. I don't know why they put a base. I mean, I understand why they put a base there. It's for suffering, but you know, it's far. No, it's, it's far <laughs> enough away from everything. Nobody cares if you shoot off artillery most of the time. Yeah, it's it's the largest base in the Marine Corps still, right? I don't know. So by there's. Square footage? Hmm? I think it's by square footage. It's the largest base. I I have been doing some measurements for like tropo shots, and I'm not 100 percent sure that that's true. <laughs> what do you what what base do you think it is? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I was trying to be able to do tropo scatter because everybody tells me the same thing you said. Like, this is the biggest base in Marine Corps, whatever, whatever. So I'm trying to figure out a tropo scatter shot. And I'm like, corner to corner as far as possible on the base. I'm like, this isn't far enough for tropo. How is this place so big? <laughs> I think I like, need to go off. I would have to go off trying palms to do a tropo shot, but then I have to deal with spectrum deconfliction between different geographical areas. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> See the problems I deal with? Yeah. yeah. Well, when we say it's well, it's big, but it's also not densely populated. So only like a small portion of the entire base has people on it. The other parts are just yeah. just for like training purposes. So yeah, there's probably more scorpions than there are people. people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I went to to Twenty Nine Palms, I went there in 1999, and when I when I got there, there was ice on the ground. When I left, it was like 126 degrees. I was like, man, why? It's weird. <laughs> it's a weird place. Enrique sent you that picture of the the building the other day you guys trained in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that took me back. Yeah. Right 
Okay, let's close this out because I think we've been going a little bit longer than normal. But yeah. uh, no, coming up on three hours. We're okay. Yeah, but yeah, let's 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 definitely close it out. All right. So um, that was best and worst U.S. presidents. Um, I, I will say that um, hopefully not continuing the conversation too much longer, but that it is interesting, like you said, that it is still a topic that is of international interest, right? Like other people are still kind of interested in American history and American politics, even when they're not American. Um, even this is going to sound stupid because those who don't know, but like super into Lego and parts of many Lego communities. And that's a very international group. Like it's always talking about like media stuff here or, our politics, uh, they're always interested in it. It's, it's a very odd thing, I think. Well, it's, uh, you pointed it out earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's odd, but it's like, I feel like the rest of the world still expects uh, the United States of America to keep leading the world. Yeah. And I think that over the past, you know, four years, we have had some definite stumbles on, like, leading the world. And so people so, like, are... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, people still think that, you know, we need to get back in, in the, into that position. They're still interested to seeing, like, what's going on in America. And I think that a lot of the world is, their eyes are being opened onto the actual issues with America. Because to be honest with you, in my mind anyway, like, a lot of the positions that the rest of the world have about America is kind of propaganda-y, really. It's like stuff that we told them, like, what we're like in America, but it's not necessarily the case. And so I think that their eyes are being opened up to like what life is like here in America for at least some subsets of Americans. And so for them, they're just like, well, what's really going on? You know? So yeah. I think it's good. So a lot of it is based on the idyllic thing, right? Like yeah. this is what the ideal is. This is what we say um, our goals and objectives are. This is the society we want to be. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's where we are, but then I think people get blinded by that fact and just focus on believing that, that we're already there. It's already perfect, but it's, perfect doesn't ever happen. And yeah. to get towards good, you have to put work in. So um, I guess that's a pretty cool way to end it, I guess. Yeah, we're still trying. <laughs> work in, man. And it takes all of us. So if you're listening, think about how you can personally make a difference to someone near you and in your, social, in your society, in your close-knit group, it, it, whether it's on this kind of topic or not, but just... What can you do to make something in your community better? That's that's how you really make a difference. Yeah, I'll give you a, a good example today. So I try to be sort of altruistic. I try to like help people when I can. But I, I don't talk to my neighbors a lot, which I need to like fix. Um, but like one of my neighbors came by today. I was on, my, on the Peloton bike and I was riding for like an hour long ride. And so I'm on it and doorbell rings and I pull it up on my phone because my phone is on my bike. And I answer, I'm just like, yeah, what's going on? And she's just like, do you know how to change the lock? And I was like, I was thinking, it is a long ride. And I was just like, no, I don't know how to change the lock. She's like, okay, thanks. And then like right after she like started walking away, I was like, shit, I do. I know, the, I, I, I didn't know what she was talking about because I was like in the middle of my ride. Because I was like, you know, I, I even let her know I'm exercising. And uh, she, I was like, did she, did, was she thinking like a door lock? And I was like, yeah. if she's thinking about like a door lock, yeah, I can change the fucking door lock. <laughs> and so uh, afterwards, I was like, damn. Uh, I took a shower and I went like to her apartment. And I was like, hey, um, sorry. I'm pretty sure you meant door lock. Yes, I can change the door lock. And then she was like, yeah, that's what I meant. And I was like, okay. I was like, I can help you. And then she's like, oh, I, I got it taken care of. I was like, all right, cool. 
I was like, sorry, but you know, yeah, yeah I can do that. Because like before, like one of our friends like couldn't, uh, they didn't know, they didn't know how to jumpstart a car, <laughs> so she came over to help me jumpstart the car, and I was like, you don't know how to jumpstart a car, but I was like, you know what? I guess people probably don't, you know. I yeah, it it could be. It's just sometimes it's the simple things like that that, um, just you never had to do it. Yeah. And so remember thing. So that was one of the big ones. Like do those simple things. Um, you talk about, you know, Logan being an adult, got his first car in Okinawa, right? $300 car or whatever. Um, gets a flat tire. I'm there. I'm like, no, you are 100% changing this time. <laughs> this is your car. I'll walk you you through will it. deal with whatever is going on with it. I'm here. If something happens, you, yeah. you know, bust your fingers open or something because that could very easily happen. So be careful and I'll be right here listening to my audiobook. Let me know if you need me. Yeah. He's out there in the Okinawa heat. <laughs> <laughs> sweating like oh, this sucks like that's part of owning a car congratulations yeah. <laughs> it's great and convenient and amazing until it doesn't work and you gotta do something with it so. yeah I had to do the same thing with my, my oldest and when you know her car got here and her brakes were totally shot and I was like we need to change these brakes and like her stepdad is a mechanic I'm like he didn't know that these like, I, I pulled the brakes off and they were literally metal on metal and I was just like I drove from Michigan to California with brakes that were metal on metal. Okay? <laughs> and so... I'm surprised I, I, you drove in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. So I, I showed her how to, you know, change her brakes. And then also later on, because when she went back, I showed her how to change her oil. So, yeah. It's basic things that people just don't... People need to... We need to focus our education on things like that, like more common things that you're going to deal with in life, like... Knowing how to do your taxes, changing your goddamn tires, changing your oil, you know, things you should look, think, you know, what to look out for in a loan, credit cards, how to build your credit, shit like that. But nobody you know teaches you that. You know what I would say is like, that's not, those aren't things that are in the standard public education system stuff and maybe don't need to be, but then they should be like the very next available thing, right? Graduate high school should be the normal school stuff, but then maybe community colleges offer those things like for free to everybody like here's some basic stuff come come learn some basic stuff with us and you can still take them while you're in high school if you're just ready for that but some people just like aren't ready but well, have them available yeah well the problem is with like one of the things that i said is that you know with like f the financial stuff is that if you don't understand like uh like loans and apr rates and things like that just getting into college like you're already fucked because you don't understand yeah. that, that what you're getting into is gonna last you your entire life and yeah it's a really good point like say like that should be a requirement for your college application like hey did you complete that community college yeah uh class everybody needs to take on loans like yeah. you know they do that for us like in the Marine Corps, like hey you can't go to this thing until you take this prerequisite yeah. little class should be prerequisite yeah. yeah let me let me click through this okay good done <laughs> hey well at least we afforded you the opportunity to read that thing about loans uh there's a lot of money involved there hopefully you pay attention yes and you cannot get out of it <laughs> for now you just keep delaying it yeah. anyway let's end it now appreciate it thank you for good the conversation man. yeah this is a good one thank you Dirty Stu for the suggestion hell yeah thanks man <laughs> alright we're out of this bitch he's uh, wearing a Goonie shirt and I have a, a Goonie shirt that looks just like that or similar to that but mine's red and I wore it yesterday I'm pretty sure it was yesterday I could have swore I got it already so yeah, that's the shirt. Never say die. Goonies never say die. Um, yeah, it's good to good to be back. Uh, I think the the last podcast was so enjoyable.
for me. <laughs> it went way better yeah. than I than, than I initially. I not thought that was gonna be bad, but it was still like really uh, cool to talk about like the post office, you know. And yeah, such an obscure topic. Yeah, and then we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let me uh, let me grab a beer. Or Hopefully, it's... Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I think I'm ready. There's new Trulies out. Which ones? The Punch. Punch? What? I'm trying to fucking win everything, man. They're doing too much. Oh, Jesus. Alright, I gotta get those. <laughs> yeah, so I just put one of these in the freezer because I got them the other day and I haven't put them, haven't put them in the fridge yet. So we got, we got Fruit Punch, Berry Punch, Tropical Punch, Citrus Punch. Nice. I was just drinking the... What was in this cup was a lemonade one. I think it was just the yeah. strawberry lemonade, so... 